get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. SEC wins, an SEC championship, a Rose Bowl championship, and national championship number 18. 13 in all, absolute perfection. I was watching that game last night upstairs, and Kara walks in right at the end. Kara's my fiance. And she looks at the screen, she said, oh, Bama won, huh? Who could have seen that one coming? <laughs> and it's true. The one thing in 2020 that actually followed through. Alabama feels inevitable. They do at this point. Like, I mean, you look at what Nick Saban has done with this program, and I'm telling you, that young whippersnapper Nick Saban, I Whoa. think he's got a future in this coaching thing. Young whippersnapper. Seven national titles now, past the great Bear Bryant. He's the greatest coach to ever do it in college. It, there is, it's kind of like whenever we watch Tom Brady come back from 28 to 3 against the Falcons. Sorry, stop. It's over. It's over. The conversation about Brady versus Montana at that point, it was done. The conversation now about Nick Saban versus whoever your favorite college football coach is, it's over. Nick Saban, last night, if it hadn't happened before, officially took over as the greatest college football coach we've ever seen. And I think that last night brought the conversation even more particularly to that team. The 2020 Alabama football team. This came up on Twitter after the game because you know how we do this. The latest is the greatest thing. And I actually do think it's an interesting conversation. Is that the best college football team that we've seen in the last 20 years? So basically, since we went to a true national championship game format, instead of just naming at the end of the season, hey, that team's the national Bulls. champion. <laughs> is this the best that we've seen, in your opinion, Ferrario? You know, of course, you're going to put this one up with 2019 LSU Tigers last year. And frankly, yes, I think this team is better than that LSU team last year. And I understand they had legit players and Joe Burrow and the offense that just couldn't be stopped. But watching Devonte Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, 
That offensive line, that offensive line in itself, BK, just impressed the hell out of me for how much space that they were creating on that field and how many second and third opportunities the offense was getting because of that offensive line. And they were without a couple of their players, their normal starters. So, yes, this, in my opinion, was the best because I think you saw one of the best wide receivers, if not the best wide receiver in a long time, one of the top quarterbacks and that running game with that offensive line. I don't think LSU can compete with Alabama. I think there are two different ways to look at this. There is the best and there is the most accomplished. I think this is the most accomplished team that we have seen over the last 20 years. And I think it's really hard to argue with that. In fact, Nick Saban talked about this exact thing last night after the game, and I'll let you hear him before I explain it in my own words. Here's Nick Saban talking about how it's the most accomplished team he's had. To me, this team accomplished more almost than any team. No disrespect to any other teams that we had or any championship teams, but this team won 11 SEC games. No other team has done that. Uh, they won the SEC and went undefeated in the SEC. Uh, and then they beat two great teams in the playoffs with no break in between. You know, this is our fifth game in a row from LSU to Arkansas to Florida to Notre Dame to here. Played 13 games and went undefeated with all the disruption that we had in this season. Uh, I think there's quite a bit to write about when it comes to the legacy of a team. The number one, three, and five finishers in the Heisman voting. They played one game this year decided by 14 points or less. They played an SEC-only schedule and averaged, averaged their victories by 30 points per game, went undefeated, played the 11 games in the SEC, the best conference in the land. They were clearly, clearly from start to finish the best team in the country, and they played almost their entire schedule without the guy that people thought coming into the season was their best receiver, and their number two receiver coming into the season won the Heisman. Right. It's unbelievable what this team was able to accomplish. And so, yes, I think it is the most accomplished team of the 21st century. I also do not think it's the best. Oh, geez. I think 01 Miami is better. I think 2005 Texas was better. That doesn't mean this team wasn't amazing. Was that the Vince Young Texas? That was the Vince Young Texas team that beat what I thought at the time was one of the best college football teams that I had ever seen in USC. Yeah. That USC team with Liner and Reggie Bush and Lindale White. I mean, they were unbelievable. And then Texas came in and beat them. Mm -hmm. Those teams, to me are still better. I think there's an argument to be had over last year's LSU team versus this team. I think when you look at the offense that Bama had this year, it's one of the best offenses I've seen. The defense was just merely great. (laughs) That's that's where I was going to go with this. And I was going to ask you because I think people look at 2019 LSU BK saying they're they're the best because how many of those players were in the first round of the draft? Yeah, a ton. I I think Alabama might have just as many. And I don't know how many guys have declared or going to declare for the draft. But the defense for Alabama is the part that I guess I would hesitate when it comes to being the best team, because frankly, you you left Ohio State in that game until the second half. That's when things really opened up. But it was the offense that ran away from that one. The defense didn't shine like LSU's defense shined last year. Yeah, I I mean, if you look at what their offense is going to have in the first round this year, I think Mac Jones, after what we saw this year, is probably going to be drafted in the first round, even if I don't think he should be. I think he's a really good quarterback, but I think he's more product of the system. Does he go ahead of Zach Wilson? No, 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 no. I think he's like late first round. Like Kyle Trask area? 
Our trash yeah, might a be a little earlier. Trask. Yeah. Um. I, so I think Mac Jones goes in the first. I'm certain Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, all going in the first round. Alex Leatherwood, their offensive tackle. Yeah. That offensive line was. You're right. It's incredible. Incredible. Uh, he'll go in the first round. And then if Landon Dickerson wasn't hurt, he was the center who yeah. came in at the end. An awesome moment, by the way. What a what a fantastic way to close out this season. He would have been a first round pick if not for tearing his ACL. We'll see now with the injury where he ultimately ends up going. So that's six dudes on the offense yeah. that are likely going to go in the first round. LSU last year, as I go through here, they had five five guys go in the first round. So, I mean, if you get six or seven guys, and I mean, and again, the defense hasn't been great, but we haven't even talked if one of their defensive players goes in that first round. I don't know if they do, but still, I mean, you're talking maybe six, seven or seven or eight guys that go in the first round of the draft from Alabama this year. It's amazing. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show from the 314. Guys, do you think Alabama has made college football boring though? It's an interesting question. I would say that it is still interesting to me because they've had so many different teams that have come for that throne. Yeah, I think it is boring when it is every year Clemson versus Alabama. I agree. That gets boring to me when it's the same two teams that are vying for the national title. But this has almost become like Michael Jordan's prime in the 90s where every year it was somebody new. It would be the Jazz one year, the Knicks one year. You'd have these different teams, the Pacers. It's somebody new that is coming for the throne. And that is what makes it unique and interesting to me, much more so than what we are seeing whenever it is Clemson versus Bama every year. Shouldn't that make it more of a reason why they expand the playoffs then and make it six or eight teams? Because you give more teams more of a shot to make it interesting. And if you're bored by the same four teams of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and then insert that fourth team here... Well, frankly, that's what, and you know, football's different. Football's not like basketball where anything can happen when you get into the playoffs. Yes, you can say that, but it's not as true when Alabama's there as a powerhouse. But that's why I feel like if you go to six or eight teams, it makes it more intriguing because you have more teams and more recipe for different outcomes of games in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm all in favor of it. By the way, a lot of people asking on the text line, do you think that um, Patrick Sertan second goes in the first round as well? Absolutely. I yep. was just talking about the offense. offense. Right. They had six dudes on the offense that could go in the first round. But yeah, they're going to have a couple guys on the defensive side of things as well that potentially could. It's a really, really good team. You don't need me to tell you that. You saw it last night. You've seen it all year 65780 from the 314 guys does Notre Dame deserve some respect now at least not to be treated as a joke yeah I don't know why they wouldn't anybody that played Alabama this year knows what they went up against Mm -hmm. and we just saw it on the biggest stage I thought Ohio State could make it interesting and then they did make it interesting for about a half (laughs) and that's the thing about Alabama and Eli Drinkwitz said this to Michelle and Randy Carricker the other day on the morning show you can hang with them for an for for half yeah Mizzou this year hung with a lot of really good teams for a half I remember when Mizzou got to the SEC that first SEC game that they played was against Georgia for the first half it was like okay they've they've got a little something here maybe they could make this interesting 
you get to the second half and suddenly the four and five stars that are like second and third stringers for the opponent, the depth that you see, right? that's where it really starts to show itself. And Mizzou didn't have that and Georgia did. And then after the game, that was the grown man football sign. If you remember that, if you're a Mizzou fan, and that's what we saw much of this season. Alabama's just deeper than everybody else. You saw them go to their backup running back with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith out of the game for one drive last night. And it was like a seven and a half minute drive to take off the majority of the clock in the fourth quarter. And there was nothing Ohio State could do about it. Nothing. And that's the difference between them and everybody else. So if you're Texas A&M who got smacked by them earlier this year or Florida who put together a really intriguing game against Alabama or Notre Dame. Yes, you should feel better about the facts that you got beat by this team because they did it to everybody. There was nobody that could live up to those standards. And the part that gets me, and again, I don't even think it's a conversation anymore. Nick Saban is the greatest of all time when it comes to college coaching for football. But it, it comes in the sense of what he's done on the scouting yeah. side of or the recruiting side of things, but also in the time that he's done it, right? Like, I mean, that is a... That is a, a a short amount of time for Nick Saban to just dominate college football, whereas most coaches, it takes the length of their career. Nick Saban has done this in, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah. And he's dominated recruiting in a time that everyone has a shot at recruitment when it comes to social media. He's done it with with these teams that just seem like they're juggernauts. They, they seem like they're invincible. So in my opinion, it's no conversation, but that's the reason why it's not just because he's winning football games. It's because he's winning in every aspect of college he's football. He's won six titles at Alabama since 2009. That's Think a, about that. It's 11 years. It's 2020 and he's won six titles. Half of the time, every other year at, at a minimum. He's winning a title. I remember there was this stat with uh, Tom Izzo at Michigan State. If you're recruited by Tom Izzo and you stay four years, you will win a national championship. Yeah. That is also the case at Alabama. Every single player that has been a part of Nick Saban recruiting class at Alabama has won a national championship, which is an unbelievable feat to be able to say. You mentioned the recruiting side of things. These are a few, a few of the names of the 2017 Alabama recruiting class. Tua Tungavailoa, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Dylan Moses, a stud linebacker for them. Alex Leatherwood, who's about to go in the first round as an offensive lineman. Jedrick Wills, who was a first round offensive lineman for them last year. And Xavier McKinney, a second round pick safety for them a year ago. It's unbelievable. That is one recruiting class. For a lot of coaches, they would take that in the lifespan of them being (laughs) a coach. And Nick Saban did it in one season. He's playing a completely different sport than everybody else right now. And what we saw last night was just the latest and possibly greatest accomplishment by him and Alabama. There's one thing that I did want to mention that I didn't love about that game last night. On the broadcast, they were giving a lot of credit to Jalen Waddell and Alabama for the way they handled his injury and for him being able to make it back on the field. Here's what it sounded like on ESPN last night. Right now by Todd McShay. That's how highly thought of his year. Smith's the fourth-rated overall player, but it's the number 11 player in the first round. Right. Out there hurt. Out there playing for his guys. You know, he wants to play and be a part of this. Like I said, this, this is a, if you're an Alabama fan, you should be so proud of the team and the chemistry of this football team. Jalen Waddle shouldn't have played last night. Why, why do you have to be proud of a guy who's going out on the field who's hurt? Good for him and awesome 
You, you're great. Come on. Jalen Waddle was clearly hurt in that game. Should not have been on the football field. He's going to be a first round pick. That dude fractured his ankle like three months ago. Mm-hmm. Awesome that he's willing to gut it out. But he shouldn't have been on that field. And the way that they were talking about it, I got to be honest with you, man, it made me a little uncomfortable yeah, well, to and, watch that and game. And I saw it on Twitter. Des Bryant commented on it and said, dude, like, why is nobody stopping this kid from going on the field? You're you're ruining your future in the NFL. And that's what got me. I mean, you want to be out there at the championship. You want to be on the field. and You want to say you were a part of that championship team and you played in the championship game but not at the expense of dropping in the draft or ruining my extended career in yep. the NFL. I mean, your future re- relies on what you just did. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you, BK. I don't understand why we're, we're glorifying that. It was strange. It was very strange. And again, Jalen Waddle, awesome on you. Good for you for right. being able to get out there. And you deserve all the praise. But it was just strange the way we were talking about it on the broadcast last night. From the 618, guys, the stat for Izzo was that if you uh, stay there for four years, you will go to a Final Four, not win a national championship. That's my bad. That is exactly what I was referring to. If you Same stayed thing. for four years with Tom Izzo, you would get to a Final Four. That was the stat for him. It's 11:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk with Mike Petriello of MLB.com about the MLB offseason. There have actually been some moves, including a pitching contract that I did not understand last night. We'll get into that with Mike Petriello coming up at 11:30. Patrick Sharp, former NHL forward, current NBC Sports NHL analyst, is going to join us coming up at 12:30. But coming up next, let's dive into a little NHL. The Blues analytics, according to the Athletic, match up with exactly what the eye test would tell you. We'll explain that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Boy, to to, to put it simply, a a Stanley Cup contender got better. I mean, there's nothing to say Louis is a Stanley Cup contender again. That was Mark Parrish on with us last week talking about the Blues, who got better in the offseason, according to him. I'm Brandon Kylie. That is Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I was reading The Athletic last night, Ferrario, and it was good to see a national outlet give Ryan O'Reilly the credit that he deserves. And I'm talking about Ryan O'Reilly because you know how this goes. It's preseason. That means everybody's doing their player rankings, their team rankings, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad, all of these different things. Well, The Athletic was no exception. And they put together a tier ranking, T-I-E-R, ranking of players in the NHL right now. And Ryan O'Reilly was ranked as one of the tier two players in the league right now. He was ranked ahead of Shea Theodore, ahead of Alex Petrangelo, and he was considered to be one of the better players in the league, which is exactly how we view him here in St. Louis. But it seems like nationally, for whatever reason, people don't view him that same way. So I was happy to see that. But my favorite quote from this story and what I wanted to focus on here is kind of about the depth that the Blues have. The Blues had five players in the top 100, according to this list, which was tied for the third most behind only the Lightning and the Maple Leafs. And one of those players was Colton Pareko, Mm -hmm. who we love here in St. Louis. I thought this was a fantastic quote from an opposing coach on Colton Pareko. Quote, Pareko doesn't move the puck great, but the defending, the size, bleep, he's pretty darn good. (laughs) 
I love that quote so much. And, man, it goes back to what we talk about so much. The Blues might not have the top-end superstar talent that some of these other teams do. They don't have the Nathan McKinnons of the Mm -hmm. world. That's not what they are built upon. But they're built upon guys like Ryan O'Reilly and guys like Jaden Schwartz and Shin and Pareko, guys that are really, really good, even if they're not in that elite tier. And the Blues have a bunch of those guys. And when you see it stacked up the way that they do in this piece over on The Athletic, it shows you why they are considered to be still one of the Stanley Cup contenders in this Western Conference. Well, and look, I mean, first off with Colton Pareko, I mean, I understand what the head coach is saying, but I think Pareko does move the puck well. If you look at how he exits his zone, but from what he's talking about, that's why Colton Pareko is viewed as the next number one guy for the Blues. Because defensively, there's no getting around him. Like playing against Pareko was like playing against Pronger, not with the edge, but with the ability, with the inability to get in front of the goaltender. Because Colton Pareko doesn't allow it. The way he utilizes his hockey stick is in, is sensational when it comes to players that are trying to get inside the zone. And Ryan O'Reilly is the exact same. And the reason O'Reilly goes under the radar, in my opinion is because he's not Nathan McKinnon. He's not putting 90, 100 points up on a season. He's not scoring 50 goals on a season. But what he's doing is something that those other guys can't do, and it's defending the puck just as well as he does on the offensive side of the puck. So the Blues have molded themselves this way under Doug Armstrong. They don't need superstars. They just need a bunch of guys who work together as a team, and that's what you've seen built up over time. You've seen a Tarasenko who, in some sense, is a superstar, But on this hockey team, he's just one of many stars. And that's how the success comes with this team, rather than what Edmonton's been trying to do, of putting an entire team around two players. The Blackhawks made it work, BK, but they made it work when it was cost-efficient and they found players to plug and play. But teams like the Edmonton Oilers, teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're not able to do it because they're paying so many players to lead where the other guys don't feel like they have the opportunity to, where this Blues team... Everyone feels like they're a part of the game every single night, and that's how they've been coached. That's how they've been managed, and that's where they find success in, 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 the, in the teams that they play against. Yeah, and it's, it's a clear roster-building tactic by Doug Armstrong. That is the way that he views this team. He, he sees it through that lens of having multiple guys that can beat you on any given night, yeah. and it's worked. That's how they won the Stanley Cup, right? And I think that's what I like so much about this team going into the season as we kind of preview where they are going into the 2021 season It's because it reminds me more of what they had going into that Stanley Cup run. Mm -hmm. It is four lines that you feel at any point in any game can score you a goal. It is four lines that you trust to be out there defensively. It is defensive pairings that make sense that have a guy like Justin Falk in his natural spot now. And Vince Dunn can just be counted upon to be what he is. Mm -hmm. You've got guys like Nico Mikola, who is going to potentially play some significant minutes for this team over the course of the regular season as basically an innings eater, if you will, on that defensive side. I really like where they're at. Got questions about Ville Husso, but otherwise, when you look up top to bottom on where this team is, what is the weakness? Like, if I was to go into this season and tell you, Ferrario, there is a fatal flaw on this team. I'm telling you right now, we're projecting to May, June. What is it? I 
I have a really hard time pointing it out to you. I yep. think they could still lose. That doesn't mean they're going to win the Stanley Cup. Doesn't mean that they are definitively the best team in the league. They just, it seems like from top to bottom, they're pretty darn good at everything. Yeah. They it, might not be elite at any one thing, but they're pretty darn good at just about everything. And you don't have to be elite in an area to be a Stanley Cup champion. You have to be good in every area, and that's what the Blues are. I think if you were to ask outside perspectives, it's the goaltending. That's the flaw yeah. of this team because a lot of people are doubting Jordan Bennington and then with Ville Husso in a shortened season. But even that, I don't think there should be a lack of confidence in going into this season because they've proven it in the past. Like if you go back to that Stanley cup team in 2019 or 2018, 2019 season, the goaltending was a flaw because it was Jake Allen and Craig Johnson. Like those were two guys. And you were like, okay, well how is this going to work? Cause Allen's never been the number one guy or when he has, he hasn't been able to take advantage of it. That was a flaw. I don't think it's a flaw this season. And I mean, frankly, that's why the blues are in this position. You know, they've never tanked to get top, Picks. They uh, Derek Johnson and Alex Petrangelo were the only two picks that they've selected in the top five. They've always selected in the middle or at the bottom. They found guys that can make it work. So that's why I don't think there is a flaw for this team this season. So I did want to bring up one other thing. Again, this comes from the Athletic. They went through and asked their writers to rank what the best divisions are. So out of the divisions, which one do you think is the best? Which one do you think is the worst? Who do you think won the best, the hardest division going into this upcoming season? It was overwhelming. I which would, one was. I would say it's the North Division. The East. 35 votes for the East out of the 41 total. 35 of them said the East is the hardest division. Is there reasoning why? Because I can, I, Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly, I get. But beyond that, I mean, you got the Rangers, you got the Islanders. You got, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not understanding it. So they like the Flyers, Bruins, Capitals, and Islanders. How are people seemingly. still talking about the Bruins right now? <laughs> like, this is amazing to me. And I'm not saying this from a, from a Blues, like, hatred side, but this team lost Tory Krug, Zdeno Chara. They're without one of their top forwards, and yet the Bruins are expected to be better and have a better shot at winning the Cup. What I the hell? I didn't know I was going to strike such a chord with what that. What the hell? Well, they think the East is like definitively the hardest division in the NHL this year. Don't agree with it. But what's number two? Uh, Number two. Is it Canada? I'm going to go the opposite direction. No, everybody else was tied for number two. Always go opposite of number two. Yes. The weakest division. If you had to guess who the weakest division was, who would you go? Central. The West. Get out of here. 16 votes for the West, 13 for the North, 12 for the Central, zero for the East, because everybody thinks that it's clearly the best division. Are we overstating how good this division is? No, we're not. Because I I look at something like that. I I do think that the people that cover these teams for the athletic are pretty smart. I think they, they know hockey, I would imagine. I will agree with and that. And then... I go over to the player rankings that the athletic put together. And again, they went through all the tiers, right? Tier one, two, three, and four. Those were the tier rankings for the top 100 players in the league. The blues had five players in that, in those rankings. So did the Knights. The avalanche had four ducks, zero coyotes, zero Kings had one. He was in the tier four wild had four, but three of those were in tier four. They had zero in tier one or two sharks had three All of them were in tier four. Mm -hmm. The talent level in this division in terms of the top two tiers 
is basically exclusively on the Avalanche, Knights, and the Blues. Those are the three teams that have top-end talent on their rosters right now. See, uh, So I, I, are we viewing this incorrectly? Is this division actually weaker than we have made it out to be? I don't think so. I think the Central Division is weaker because if you look at teams beyond the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'll put the Nashville Predators in there because I think the Predators are still strong, you got a bunch of teams that could be good, that could be bad. It's very similar to the West. But the difference, in my opinion, is those teams in the Central like to play fast. The teams in the West like to play heavy. And I understand the Ducks are a team that's going to be rebuilding. The Kings are the exact same. The Sharks, I put as my top, one of my top five teams that, that stress me out in this division this year. Coyotes in the Wild? Like, yeah, they're not going to win the Cup this year. But the Coyotes are a team that are really good if they're on their game. And the Minnesota Wild are in a transition and kind of a prove-it year that can really upset some teams. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Boston Bruins thing still has me heated. <laughs> this kind of stresses me out, too, because I think the West, in my opinion, is the second toughest division right behind the Canadian division. I, I The more I read, the more I look into it. And you know my, first, my initial reading, reaction. <laughs> my initial reaction was, this doesn't seem like as bad of a thing as people are making it out to be. I actually think that this might be a weaker division than the Central I, the more I read, the more I think that that might be right. I, I think I might. My initial reaction may have been correct in thinking, hey, this might not be so bad for the Blues. Now you got me thinking of another Ferrario five. The top five reasons why that is a joke in the West is uh, the West is difficult. That is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Mike Petriello said he thinks if the Mets miss out, on George Springer, Harrison Bader would be a really good option for the Mets to trade for. He got a little bit of blowback from the Cardinals fans on that one. We'll talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line. MLB analyst for MLB Network and MLB.com. Mike Petriello joining the show. Always appreciate his time. Mike, I hope you had a happy new year, man. How you doing today? I'm doing okay, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So the reason I reached out initially was because last week you put it out on Twitter. Hey, if the Mets miss out on George Springer, I think Harrison Bader would be a really interesting option for the Mets. Elite center field defense, right-handed, great speed, okay-ish hitter. Grew up in New York, and you got the Harrison Bader experience with Cardinals fans that we have been experiencing, I think, for a couple of years now. What did you make of the response that you got from Cardinals fans when you posted that tweet? Yeah, it was funny. I, I followed up with a tweet that I understand the Cardinals fans dislike Harrison Bader, and one of the Cardinals beat writers was replying, Welcome to the beat. <laughs> True. <laughs> It was it was wild. Like I was really just thinking about this from a Mets point of view, right? Like if they don't get Springer, they need a center fielder. Jackie Bradley is a very good defender, but he's another lefty hitter. And so I was like, well, who's a righty hitter? All the reasons you just mentioned who would fit. And I, I came upon Bader and I tweeted it because I thought it was interesting. And I can't tell you how many replies I got from Cardinals fans that were something along the lines of great. I will drive him to the airport <laughs> or I will trade him for two slices of New York pizza. Sign me up. And I was I was honestly kind of stunned by that reaction. <laughs> Well, I, I got to say, 
I'm not stunned by it. Um, I I think, and I would be curious for your perspective on this, Mike, because you come at this from the national viewpoint where you're not in the minutia of Cardinals baseball every day. You don't have to get bogged down into some of the same things that we do. But Cardinals fans would basically tell you he was the guy that wore the powder blue uniforms whenever they uh, announced those. He was sold as a potential star to the fan base, and he hasn't lived up to that billing, while also the Cardinals have decided to trade Randy Arozarena. They didn't bring back Marcelo Zuna and some of the outfield decisions that they have made basically are a reflection in their eyes of Harrison Bader. Do you nationally think that those are fair to put on Harrison Bader? I'm glad you brought up the part about the uniforms because I heard that from a lot of people. They're like, when we introduced the the blue uniforms, he was the only active player there. And Zeliak keeps telling us he's going to be a big star. And that's not the sort of thing I I think about or worry about, but I heard it from enough people that it was interesting. So it almost seems like it's not so much about how he's performed, but the comparison of like this perception that he's going to be a star, which I think is kind of unfair to him. I also think there's just a little bit of new school versus old school here because you look at him and you say, okay, well, he hits 220 and he strikes out a lot. He must be a terrible hitter. You know, that's not really true. I don't think he's a great hitter. I don't even think he's a, a league average hitter. But if you were to look at any Cardinal last year who got any amount of decent playing time, and you just ranked them by something simple like OPS. Okay, Goldschmidt was obviously number one. Brad Miller was number two. Harrison Bader had the third best OPS on the team last year. You know, I don't think he's a great hitter. He does strike out too much. But I really down a lot, as you kind of alluded to here, the Cardinals offense is generally terrible. I think the best way I could think of to to phrase this is, I don't think Bader is the solution to the problems, but I also don't think he's the problem. They just have not put enough of a team around him, and that's sort of why I thought it would be a good fit for the Mets, because the Mets haven't had very good defense, but they've got a lot of really good hitters. You know, you can stick an elite center fielder in that lineup, have him hit eighth or ninth, and not worry how much he hits. You can't do that for a team like the Cardinals, who have you know one above-average hitter that I would consider for next year, which is Goldschmidt. So I, I think it's partially you know, the perception of what people wanted him to be. And I think it's also partially he's on a, a lineup that can't handle hitter like that. All right, Mike, since we, we have the warm and fuzzies now with this Cardinals <laughs> offense, uh, what do you feel like the solution is then? Because on the polar opposite of this, we see Francisco Lindor get traded to the Mets. And of course we know with Steve Cohen willing to spend money, how do the Cardinals kind of start to dig themselves out of this hole and put themselves back into contention? Is it the, the, the just blow it up and rebuild, or do you think that there's still an ability to rebuild this? They, they can't blow it up and rebuild. I mean, the, the NL Central is so winnable, you know, and they still have Goldschmidt. I still have a, a great deal of faith in Jack Flaherty to, to be better than he was last year. I mean, for every player on every team, you kind of look at 2020 with a bit of a side eye, but I think especially for the Cardinals, given all that they went through, so the right answer, which I, I completely understand is not going to happen, but the right answer is we'll go sign George Springer and DJ LeMahieu. You know, that would really fix the problem. I get it. That's not actually going to happen. But the fact is that the Central is so weak and the Cubs seem to be so hard not to contend that you don't have to do that much to make a step forward. Like if you just want to look at the outfield for a second, I think there's an easy solution here. You play Bader in center field every day. You play Dylan Carlson in one of the corners every single day, and you go out and sign one of the many corner outfielders who are out there who won't cost that much. If you want to spend a little bit more, Michael Brantley would be a great fit. Peterson would be a good fit. Eddie Rosario. I mean, pick whichever one you want. You do a little bit of a platoon situation with Tyler O'Neill, maybe, depending on who you get. 
the one thing you cannot do, because we just saw this fail, is run it back and bring back the exact same guys and hope it's better. If that means Fowler has to be benched, well, so be it. You know, he's going to be 35 years old and he's not part of the, the future. And then if you do that, maybe you sign like a Tequila Stella for second base, that kind of guy. You got to get somebody to come in. You cannot just go with the guys you have. We're talking with Mike Petriello, MLB analyst for MLB Network and MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. I love what you said there, Mike, because that's basically been, I think our show for the last three months is saying what you just said in the last like 45 seconds. We've basically done that for three hours a day for three months. (laughs) The problem, though, is like, I think that's exactly what the plan is. I think their plan is to more or less run it back and see where it gets them. And I think that's where Cardinals fans are so frustrated right now is because this division is so winnable everybody else seems much more interested in saving money than they are in winning baseball games and so it's right there for the taking and it's not like it requires some 50 million dollar upgrade to this team you just got to go get a few good pieces I've said all along I think Jock Peterson makes a ton of sense you could platoon him if you want to with Bader Bader is tremendous against left-handed pitchings Jock Peterson is fantastic against right-handed pitching it makes a lot of sense to do it that way and then if you add one more infielder so Matt Carpenter's not starting every day boom you've got a pretty competent team I did want to ask you though because the Lindor trade is something that really made fans a little frustrated because now you've got the Mets as well that are in that category with the Dodgers and the Padres how far away in your opinion Mike are the Cardinals from that group of teams the Mets Padres Dodgers and if you want to throw them in there the Braves as well how far are the Cardinals from those teams right now very in a word <laughs> I think yeah I, I think you nailed it the uh, the NL is certainly really stratus stratified right like I do kind of put the Braves in that group so you got your big four Dodgers Padres Mets Braves uh, and then there's a, a big gap, but this kind of goes back to the division they're in. Like if the Cardinals were in the West or if they were in the East, I would say, well, they got a big problem. They're not going to be able to catch those guys, but they're not. They're in the Central. And I don't think there's anything short of, you know, spending $500 million, which they're not going to do to catch up to those big four teams. So no matter what, even if they win the Central, they would go into the uh, as an underdog. And that's fine. But it sort of depends like what you're trying to get out of the season. And my view is if you win the division and you get to the playoffs and hopefully by October, the country will be a little bit less of a disaster. And we can have Cardinals fans in the games at push stadium. Um, that's that. You also know that in a playoff series, any stack up, you know, if Flaherty goes like he does, um, he would stack up against one starter. And all of a sudden, hey, there are two more games, depending on how the playoff series is going to be. Like I, I think there is still value to winning a division, getting the playoffs, even if you are unlikely to be the number one seed, because this division, I cannot stress this enough, is absolutely terrible. I mean, the Pirates are going to lose 150 games this year. The Cubs don't want to win. I don't think much of the Brewers. I don't know what the Reds are going to do. This could be, I don't want to say easy, that's overstating it, but this is a very winnable division for the Cardinals. So, Mike, uh, we saw Kyle Schwarber over the weekend sign for one year $10 million. And when you were just talking a little bit ago about those outfield free agents that the Cardinals could dive into, what do you think that market's going to look like now that we've seen with Schwarber? I mean, what are we looking at for a Jock Peterson or an Eddie Rosario that the Cardinals could put themselves into the uh, hat for? I think it's similar. I mean, if you asked me, who do I want, just for getting salaries for a minute, just as a baseball player, do I want Peterson or Schwarber? I, I take Peterson. I think they're similar players, you know, big left-handed power bats, 
who aren't very good against lefty pitchers. I think I think Peterson is a better defensive outfielder, um, so that's valuable to me. So I, you know maybe it's a two year deal for you know less less AAV and he gets like a two for you know seventeen or something like that. I think Brantley will cost you a little more even though he's older because he's got such a consistent track record, uh, making great contact. He's not a great defender either, but I don't think there's any outfielder aside from Springer who's going to get paid, who's going to be getting like, you know, three, four, five-year deals for many, many millions of dollars. I think what you saw from Schwarber is sort of what you're going to see for these other guys. Brantley will make more. Peterson will make about the same, but I really think we're talking like two deals here. Last question that I have for you, Mike. Um, we've talked a lot about the shortstop market going into next year because that's, uh, let's be honest, that's kind of the easiest, I guess you could say, way for the Cardinals to add a star to this current team. I think the one that makes the most sense for them, knowing their sensibilities and knowing kind of how this team runs, is probably Trevor Story. If I told you, Mike Petriello, that on January 12th of 2022, the Cardinals have mostly the same team, but minus Dexter Fowler, minus Carlos Martinez, minus Matt Carpenter, the guys that are free agents next year, and they've added Trevor Story to this lineup. How much does that close the gap between them and the top competitive teams in the National League right now? Well, I guess a year from now, I'd have a lot of questions about, you know, did Dylan Carlson break out? Who else is in your rotation? But to your point, I mean, Trevor Story, I I think, is somehow underrated. I consider him one of the... uh, And we might... There we go. You you got us, Mike? Sorry, you broke up there after you said uh, Trevor Story's underrated. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, on your show... Fan who's been thinking about Nolan Arenado for the last two years, mm-hmm. I, I would argue that's the wrong side infielder in Colorado to think about because that story is younger. He's an elite defensive shortstop. He's like a top five shortstop in baseball to me. So if you can go out and get him, even if it's just for this year, even if you don't know if you can re-sign him, that's worth it. That's how good he is. And that is exactly the kind of guy the Cardinals should be thinking about. He's Mike Petriello, MLB analyst for MLB Network and MLB.com. I swear I don't just have him on the show because yeah. he agrees with some of my takes. Mike, I think he's only bringing you on because he wants you to say the names Jock Peterson, Tommy Listella, and Trevor Story. That's the only reason he's doing it, buddy. <laughs> I love good That's baseball fair. players. Confirmation <laughs> bias, right? I love everything that you put out there, Mike, but apparently BK just likes to make it one-sided. Well, that's fair. That works for me. Mike, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and the fam. We'll talk with you again soon, hopefully as we are getting closer and closer to the start of the regular baseball season. Let's hope. Stay safe, guys. Thanks, Absolutely. Mike. Same to you. That is Mike Petriello joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, I swear, I'm not just having him on because he agrees with some of my takes. I, I would, a, I would believe that statement until mind. he just told me no, no Nolan Arenado. I think you gave him the heads up, say, hey, Ferrario is a 95 percenter for Nolan. Make sure you say that that's dumb. I do find what he said to be interesting. It would be worth it in his mind for the Cardinals to just go out there and get Trevor Story, even if they don't resign him because he is that good. Let's talk about that a little bit on the other side. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Also, questions and answers. If you got any questions coming off of that interview or you just want to ask us something, get them in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to questions and answers next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers from the 636. Guys, can we get Mike Petriello a better uh, cell phone provider? Because I enjoyed the half of the interview that I could hear. We apologize for the connection. I know it was bad at times. I We thought about going away from it and then coming back. It 
it came back enough that we were able to kind of power through there, but I do apologize. I know that it could have been difficult at times to be able to hear him. I thought he was tremendous, though. Yeah. And we do have a couple of questions, and I'm just going to summarize them from the 314 and the 618. Both of you guys had one about Trevor Story and the idea of adding him to this team. Do how how close do you think the Cardinals would be, Ferrario? To those other teams in the National League, we're talking about the Mets and the Braves and the Padres and the Dodgers. How close would the Cardinals be to those teams if right now today they traded for Trevor Story and didn't provide some other like significant major league talent in that deal? I don't think they're close to the Dodgers. I don't think they're close to the Padres. I'd put them in the same category as the Mets and Braves, though, with Trevor Story. I really would. Uh, And I know people are going to hear that and say, oh, well, they don't have a good lineup still. But I I think on paper, the Cardinals will be without a doubt the best team in the NL Central. They will win that division with a player like Trevor Story. I feel that way now. I feel that way now, but I still think there are teams that can make some noise. Just, I mean, look, the Cubs still have a lot of weapons, even if they are going to trade those guys away. They still have weapons. But look, with the Trevor Story, I put them into the same conversation because, in my opinion, I think the Cardinals have a better pitching staff when it comes to the Braves. Mets, not so much, but I think the I think the Cardinals' offense with the Trevor Story can compete and be a little bit better than the Mets' offense. I think I would have them fourth. Out of that list that you're talking about right now, I would have them ahead of the Braves if they added Trevor Story, but I would probably still have them behind the Mets and then the two teams in the West are just I mean, those those teams are on a different plane right. entirely. And that's OK. If you get to the postseason and you're in a seven game series against them, you you've got a shot, even though it is unlikely. Right. We've seen crazier things happen in the postseason than a team that is pretty good, although not great, beating an all time great team. So I. I still think it is worth doing. I don't think the Cardinals will do it, but that's the guy. Previously, we talked so much about Nolan Arenado and Petriello said it there. I tend to agree with him. I think Trevor Story is the guy from the Rockies that they should be targeting if and when he becomes available. Yeah, look, I'm Mr. 95% for Arenado and I still love the guy and I think I'm going to stick by my 95%. But if I had to go another direction, Trevor Story is the ideal Cardinal. He's a guy who doesn't have all of the flair, although Colton Wong has been a flair guy. We are okay with that. But he's a guy who kind of flies under the radar, but he has massive power. He creates a one-two punch that I think can compete with all of these teams that have the one-two He's also a fantastic defender, yeah. and that's something that goes under underrated with him. I, I think we underrate Rockies because of the Coors Field effect and because of, well, they're not on TV a whole lot. They're, they're not exactly a big brand, right? So we don't watch Trevor Story, but over the last three years, He's a 290 hitter that averages 30 stolen bases per season. I mean, that is that is a stud. A Cardinals, Cardinals, yes. Mm-hmm. Cardinals fans would absolutely adore watching that guy. So I think he makes a lot of sense for them, even though I, I don't know that they feel the same way. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax slide for questions and answers from the 636. This one's right up your alley, Ferrario. What hockey teams do you predict to go to the conference finals this year? And who do you believe will ultimately play for the Stanley Cup final? This is an interesting one because you don't really have conference finals anymore. It's division. So basically you got Northwest, Central, and East, all four teams. That's basically your four teams that'll get to the um, the, the, the quarterfinal and then you got the conference final. Right now, I would say the four teams in each division I'm going to sound like a homer, but I'm putting St. Louis in the West just because of the chemistry and the group of guys who have done it before in the North. I think I'm going to put Toronto, which 
seems like blasphemy because they, for some reason, always stumble, but they don't have to deal with Boston this year. Um, in the East, I'm going with Washington. I think the Zdeno Chara addition is really going to help them. And in the Central, you got to go Tampa. And for a cup final, again, I think I'm going to sound like a homer here, but I'm going to put St. Louis versus Washington. Did you have Tampa? Yeah, I had Tampa in the okay. Central. I'm going to put St. Louis versus Washington. I think Washington got so much better with Zdeno Chara this year and Alex Ovechkin as a free agent. That team might be kind of blown up after this season with a couple of free agents. TJ Oshie might be selected in the entry draft. Washington, I think, can outdo Tampa and St. Louis. However, these divisions play out. If St. Louis wins their division, I think they can get to the cup final again. So that's I'll go St. Louis, Washington as my two teams fighting for the cup. I am going to go... I'm going to go Vegas out of the West, unfortunately. That team is really good, man. And they are stacked from top to bottom. And their defensive core is unbelievable with the addition of Alex Petrangelo. So I'm going to go Vegas out of the West. That is not a shot at BK uh, St. Louis. It is not a shot against the Blues. I hope that they prove me wrong, but I'll go with them. I'm going to go Tampa out of the Central. They haven't lost enough for me to not take them out of that division. Go Philly out of the East. Mm -hmm. And... I'm going to go ahead, after what we saw last year, this might be a bad one. I'm going to take Vancouver out of the north. It's a bad one. I'm going to take Vancouver (laughs) to come out of the north and ultimately to win that division. And then I will go with Philly versus Vegas for the cup. You really hate St. Louis. Why is that hating St. Louis once I had them not winning? Well, they could still get into the playoffs and stun some people. They could. They could. I'll I'll go Philly versus Vegas um, ultimately to make it to the cup. And I think Vegas wins it this year. I I think they're able to break through. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. Last quick one for you uh, from the 573. Guys, do you think that the Cleveland Browns will be able to upset the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend? I'll... I'll, uh hand things off to my Kansas City guy. I am overly optimistic about the Chiefs this weekend, and it concerns me. <laughs> it, it really frightens me. He's afraid of Baker Mayfield, guys. He's afraid. He's he's not a Baker backer. That's what the fast lane calls it, right? I, I am not afraid of Baker. Barker, yeah, you are. However you want to call him. <laughs> Baker Parker. I'm not afraid of him. I am a little afraid of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I'm a little afraid of that tandem and that offensive line when healthy is really, really, really good. And they're expected to get Joel Batonio back this week. I'm a little worried about them and I'm a little about Miles Garrett. Just That's it. it. That's you're, it. You're worried about Peoples Jones and Baker Mayfield. That's what you're worried about. No. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN from the 314. I can't believe BK is on St. Louis radio saying that Vegas is going to make it to the playoffs. Not only make it to the playoffs, I said they're going to win the cup. I, I'm giving you guys you just, my honest opinion. I'm he, not going to lie to you here. He is not a homer, folks. Unlike Come, Ferrario, who calls him a hole and oats on the ice. Coming up next, a telling statistic on the Cardinals' historic levels of a lack of offseason activity. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Cardinals fans, I get it. I get it. I understand you. I understand the frustration with this team. I understand the fact that you look at this and you see every report out there of, hey, the Cardinals have been connected with player X, Y, and Z. And you look at it and you throw that in the garbage. I understand. 
Why do I understand? Because I saw this tweet yesterday from CBS Sports, and I think it is totally understandable that Cardinals uh, fans have, have, have grown to just be done with all of this. According to CBS Sports, if we include Rule 5 draft picks, the Cardinals are the only team in all of baseball to not add a player to their 40-man roster from outside of the organization this offseason. Let me read that for you one more time. If we include the Rule 5 draft, there is there are 30 teams in baseball. Only one of them, the Cardinals, have not added a single player to their 40-man roster from outside of the organization since the start of this offseason. So this offseason, they this have off not season. added one player. Not added a single player to the 40-man roster since the start of the offseason. That's off false. What about uh, the, the, the catcher not that we have? on the 40-man roster. He's on a minor league contract. Okay. okay, what about the backup infielders that they signed? All on minor league contracts. Okay. They have added nobody. It's not just that there have been insignificant moves. It's not like they added a utility infielder and Cardinals fans are are disappointed by the results of what you got this offseason. They've added nothing. The Cardinals season ended now, what, three months ago? And in those three months, they've done nothing. It's been a lot of talk about, hey, there's not enough money to spend. Hey, we'll see what we can do about Yachty and Wayno. They've been connected to, at any given point in time, depending on who you believe, they've been connected to seemingly every single free agent that is out there right now and every single trade acquisition that is out there right now. We have broken down from top to bottom all of the platoon outfield options. We have broken down all of the infield options. We have broken down every trade candidate that there is. And none of it, none of it has happened. And it is mid-January and earlier today, you got the article coming out from The Athletic that the Major League Baseball is now expecting to start training or uh, spring training on time, which means we are roughly five weeks away from the start of spring training. And the Cardinals have done nothing. Can I give some optimism? Because you're pretty pessimistic right now, and I want to give people some optimism. Absolutely, let's hear it. Okay, so I sent you an article yesterday that uh, John Moselec did an interview Sunday morning on a station here in St. Louis and was talking about how there still is five weeks before the spring training is supposed to start. They are investigating all of their options, and John Moselec did say we expect to make some moves before we get to oh, Jupiter. So how is that for you? Huh? Oh. Sounded a lot to me like a DJ LeMayhew signing. You got my juices flowing all of a sudden. That's right. So if that were to happen, how would it happen? Because we all know it's unlikely that the Cardinals signed DJ LeMahieu, right? What are you? But, but, but (laughs) he is still out there. And it's pretty stunning to me that he is. I'm frankly surprised that the Yankees haven't gotten something done with him now. And this is something also that we need to be aware of, right? The Cardinals aren't the only team that have a lack of moves. They're just the only team that has literally made zero moves. All of the teams have made very few. I mean, if you look at the list of the top 10 um, free agents at the start of free agency and the top 10 free agents still available today, I think it's like eight of them that are still out there on the open market. So there's been just a lack of activity as a whole in baseball, much less with the Cardinals. However, DJ LeMahieu plays a position that the Cardinals need. He fills a role that the Cardinals need in terms of a leadoff hitter. And as I was looking over on MLB trade rumors yesterday, I saw that they're projecting a four-year, $68 million deal for LeMahieu whenever he signs. It's a lot of money, more than the Cardinals are very likely willing to spend. However... If they wanted to, if they decided, you know what, the market hasn't been there the way that LeMahieu expected. He fits a role that we need. Let's let's think about this for a second. How would we make this happen? 
I think I figured out how it could potentially be possible. Okay, so you're solving problems. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I would be curious what Cardinals fans would think of this possibility. Cardinals trade Carlos Martinez and a couple of prospects to the Red Sox, and the Red Sox in return send Andrew Benatendi to St. Louis. So Carlos, now a Red Sox, couple of prospects now going to Boston. Andrew Benatendi is your outfield platoon option here in St. Louis. Next up, the Cardinals sign DJ LeMayhew and a veteran catcher, and that's the end of their offseason moves. They is don't that veteran have, catcher Yachty? It's not Yachty or Molina. Okay. It is a Andrew Weeders type, whether it be him or somebody else. It's an Andrew Weeders type. They do not bring back Yachty. They do not bring back Colton Wong. They do not bring back Adam Wainwright. Those three guys gone from the roster. But you added in, in total a veteran catcher, DJ LeMayhew, and you brought back Andrew or you brought in Andrew Benatendi. Those are your offseason additions. What would you think about that as opposed to bringing back Yadi, Wayno, Wong, any of those? Well, first of all, you didn't say Jock Peterson's name, so I'm on not. board with this 100%. But overall, if you look at that roster that you just highlighted as a potential one, BK, you're a better team. You at least can be in the conversation with those other teams. You're not anywhere near as good as the Mets, Braves, Dodgers, Padres with those additions. But you're better, you're the best team in the Central, and you at least have a chance to do something in the postseason. If you go that lineup with a Andrew Benetiendi and a Harrison Bader platoon, a DJ LeMahieu, which I would imagine is going to be your leadoff or number two hole oh, hitter, and then you have a Dylan Carlson and whoever that catcher is that is the veteran catcher you signed, that's better than a lineup that has a Matt Carpenter, Tommy Edmond leading off in the one-two hole, your four-hole hitter as a Paul DeYoung, and then Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, and insert names here. In my opinion, DJ LeMayhew and Benetiendi make you a better roster for this upcoming offseason. And some people might say, BK, there's no way they're doing that because look at that contract that LeMayhew's getting. Well, you also have to remember, they got rid of the $12 million for Carlos Martinez. I would think... Yachty is likely going to get somewhere in that seven to ten million dollar range this offseason, whether it be here or elsewhere. And I think Wayno's probably going to get around five million dollars. So if we say ten for Yachty, five for Wayno, twelve for Carlos, that is twenty seven million dollars in total that the Cardinals would be spending with those three guys. Right. Mm hmm. With Benatendi, LeMayhew and a veteran catcher, Benatendi, six million dollars, LeMayhew, 17 per year. And the catcher, let's say it's like two to three million dollars. Right. It's the same. Those two options are the same, monetarily speaking, uh, depending on which route that you ultimately wanted to go there. So they're not actually spending more money going this direction than they would be by keeping Carlos and re-signing Yachty and Wayne. So let me ask you this then, because the contract of DJ LeMayhew is going to be important. If you're looking at what Mark Feinstein and a lot of the guys at MLB Network are expecting, a four-year, $80 million deal. Sure. That keeps you out of the market for a shortstop in a Trevor Story. Potentially. And that's that's something. But does it, I guess, is another question, because that is basically filling in the money that you are taking off of the books next year with Matt Carpenter. You also then are taking off of the books going into next season. Dexter Fowler, Andrew Miller and Andrew Miller, which is 30 million more. And coming off you're taking off, too. So you, you still have some flexibility there. Now, would the Cardinals view it this way? Probably not. Yeah. I guess it then becomes the question of, would you be willing to take that risk? Would you be willing to take the risk of, if you sign LeMayhew now, you do not get to be involved in the shortstop market of next offseason? I think for me, I would rather them play in that shortstop market. I would frankly rather them just trade for Trevor Story and get it done now. 
I don't think they're going to do that. Right. I also have a pessimism about them even playing in that shortstop market next offseason because I have some real fears about them spending $100-plus million on any of those guys. And that's my hesitancy, too, with this, BK. But on the flip side of that, if you go into this season without a DJ Lemay, if you go into the season with this offense, I think that forces the hand, if it doesn't get improve at all, of next offseason of like you have it's the same thing in my opinion of what you had to do with Paul Goldschmidt in the offseason you were forced to find a first baseman that not only improved your offense but improved your defense because Jose Martinez and Matt Carpenter couldn't do it if you go into this season and the offense doesn't improve from that leadoff spot down to the sixth hole Tyler O'Neill doesn't improve. Paul DeYoung doesn't improve. Matt Carpenter doesn't do anything. Tommy Edmond doesn't do anything. Dylan Carlson doesn't uh, give you the optimism that you thought you were, you were going to get. That forces the hand of going into that shortstop market. If you have a DJ LeMayhew, I don't know if they can do that because at least you know the offense is going to improve. You kind of see what I'm saying here? I do. Um, and has, I just wrote down the top five. Like if this was, if this were what the Cardinals decided to do, their top five in the order would be LeMahieu, Benintendi, Goldschmidt, DeYoung, Carlson. The other thing this would do is it takes a little pressure off of Carlson. Instead of him having to be that savior batting second, third, maybe even leadoff for them next year, he's now batting fifth in that type of a lineup. And so now you're, you're feeling really good about LeMahieu. I know he's a little bit older, but he's been tremendous for so long that I don't feel like the uh, drop off is coming right now. Benintendi is a really good player in his role, especially against righties. Goldie's amazing. And DeYoung would just have to get back to uh, the previous version of Paul DeYoung. And then Dylan Carlson can be fifth. He can bat six, something like that in the middle of your order. And you feel a little bit better about him as well. I think it would make a lot of sense. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, though, from the 314. Just stop, BK. It is not happening. Are you really all that naive? And that's really what it comes back to. That answers the question you asked yesterday. I mean, are fans just numb to this idea of the Cardinals actually going out and improving next offseason? That answers the question right there from what we just did. Yeah, and I, I think that's where Cardinals fans are at, and I understand it. I get it because, as I said in the beginning of the segment, there is no other team in all of baseball that has gone this entire offseason without adding a single player to their 40-man roster from another roster. No other team has done it except for the Cardinals or the only one. So I get it. If you're pessimistic about where they are right now, you're pessimistic about what the future holds for them. I totally understand it. I was trying to look for a creative way that they could go about kind of a neutral cash type of offseason, and this would be that route. I still don't have a lot of optimism that they'll actually do it. I think it makes a lot of sense for them, but that doesn't mean that they're going to go out there and do it. Swell 15, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The season is over for 24 of 32 teams. Now what? Let's start with this. Now what for the Steelers? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Kylie will play a game of now what coming up here in just a second. But right now, Luke Korak has been tweeting from Blues practice today, the lines, and there is one notable absence from the Blues lines. And of, of course, it is Jordan Cairo. He is not skating. 
today. And apparently this is a cap technicality that the Blues are handling right now because of the long-term IR situation with Vladimir Tarasenko. So in Jordan Cairo's spot with that third line on the right wing alongside Sanford and Bozak, it's Sammy Blay today. Also, it sounds like this could affect Nico Mikola. He's in a similar spot as far as the cap situation. Again, all of this coming from Lou Korak, NHL.com Blues Insider. Ferrario, wanted to ask you, what's going on here? How significant of an issue is this? How long is it expected to affect the Blues? Yeah. Yeah, so sorry, I was looking through on Cap Friendly because they were talking about this yesterday on social media. So this is the LTIR ramifications. And if you remember correctly, they talked about how, you know, it benefits the Blues in terms of the Mike Hoffman situation to put Steen and Tarasenko on LTIR at the start of the season rather than in training camps because of the money situation, how it fluctuates. But the NHL said yesterday, and Cap Friendly came out with this, which basically was stating that if you're doing that, then the the roster ramifications you're going to do on Wednesday are going to impact what happens on Tuesday. So if you're doing something Wednesday when the season starts, then Tuesdays are going to be what your roster looks like. Gotcha. And if you understand correctly, yesterday they put all these guys on waivers. Nico Mikola has a one-way contract, so he's not on the ice. Jordan Cairo's not on the ice today because they have one-way contracts. They, they got to go through waivers, and if you're putting those guys through waivers, they're going to get claimed. Right. They're on the NHL roster, but technically they are not until the LTIR situations are kind of gone through. So at least from what Lou and I were talking about, and Jamie might be able to shed some more light on this with us on the crossover later or on the fast lane this afternoon. But my understanding is these guys won't be available for Wednesday's game. They'll be available for Friday's game because Wednesdays are going to impact Tuesday. So basically it's just a one game thing. It's a one game thing until you get the salary. And essentially this is just Jordan Cairo is not going to play Wednesday and you'll see Sammy Blay out there with the third line. And then Friday, you'll see Jordan Cairo and it'll right. be back to normal. So it's not a huge deal. It's just this one game formality. It's basically it's protocols. It's yeah. all within it's this cap is, protocol, right? Yeah. It's and it's temporary, too. I mean, Doug Armstrong's a magician when it comes to this stuff. So I would imagine if there's a way to get Cairo into the game, Mikola wasn't going to be in the game regardless. Sure. But if it's there's a way Jordan to get Cairo. He'll be in tomorrow. It's really just a matter of kind of the technicalities that go with this cap situation. So my guess would be based on the fact that Sammy Blay skating with the third line today, I would assume Sammy Blay will start for the Blues tomorrow night. Yeah. He'll get the start. And then Friday night, you'll see Jordan Kyra back. There. Correct. So wouldn't worry about it too much. It's just a one game thing, one night thing. And yeah. then they'll figure it out from there. Correct. All right. We will talk with Patrick Shark, Sharp, rather, NHL analyst for NBC Sports Network. He's going to join us coming up in just about... 10 minutes or so but right now let's play a game of now what ferrario the season has come to an end for 24 of the 32 nfl teams let's talk about a few of these teams that were just eliminated now what for the pittsburgh steelers what comes next because juju smith schuster is now a free agent they've got some big decisions to make coming up this offseason we don't know what the future holds for ben roethlisberger it was announced yesterday that marquis pouncey is going to retire now what for the steelers First things, you got to re-sign Juju, I think. I mean, he's a number one receiver, an elite receiver in the league. You can't let that go. Even though they have a guy like Chase Claypool on the uprise, you have receivers. Get Juju re-signed. The next thing, and I know people are going to think it needs to be the quarterback. And yes, that's important, but I think you got to resolve that at running game stuff. You yeah. got you to fix that offensive line, and you got to figure out who your running back is going to be. Because I don't think James Conner is the answer. He was the kind of stopgap after Le'Veon Bell. You got to find a running game to make that offense better. I think Big Ben can do another season, although he looked broke in the game against the Browns. 
But if if I'm running that team, which would be a dangerous thing in itself, I'm fixing my offensive line and I'm finding out how to make myself a better running game. Totally agree with you. They've got to figure out the Bud Dupree situation. He was on a franchise tag this year. They we saw it in the postseason. They they don't have enough of a pass rush without him. He's got to be back next year. I think they let Juju walk. Really? Um, I do. You've got James Washington. You've got Chase Claypool. You've got Deontay Johnson. You've got some good receivers there for cheap next season. You're going to need that money for elsewhere. I think it goes to Bud Dupree. The first thing I would look at is what you said with the offensive line. And next, you got to find out your quarterback situation after Ben. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be back next year, but regardless of what whether he is or not, you need a young guy to bring in there, whether that be in the draft or or if it means going out and getting Sam Darnold somehow, signing Jameis Winston, one of these young guys that is available this upcoming offseason, they need to be on the Steelers roster going into next year because Josh Dobbs is not the answer. Mason Rudolph is not the answer. You've got to find somebody that could be. They need a high upside guy to be able to be their next quarterback, and they don't have him on the roster right now. Next one, now what, Alex Ferrario? For the Indianapolis Colts, it sounds like Rivers is near the end, if not at the end for his career. Yeah. I really like that roster otherwise. Now what for the Indianapolis Colts in your mind? You got to find a quarterback. You got to find the next guy who not who isn't just a one-year replacement. You got to find somebody who can be the next quarterback of the Colts until this team kind of takes that transition. And in my opinion, I'm doing everything I can to see what is needed to get to Sean Watson. And I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if you're willing to sacrifice the next three to five years of your evolution of a team and kind of continue to build. But I need a quarterback. And I don't know if the guys that are going to be free agents are going to be there. That can change that. If it's not Deshaun, maybe I'm seeing what Carson Wentz can do, but I think that hurts the team more than anything. But I got to find the next three to five year quarterback rather than the next year quarterback. I think you said it. I think it's Carson Wentz. I, I think it's Wentz. I he, don't think it's a good idea, but he go makes, for it. He makes so much sense for them. He had so much success under Frank Reich in the past. He is still talented, even though we haven't seen that the last couple of years. I think he's the guy for them. They picked 21st, so I don't think they have enough draft capital to be able to get Mac Jones. Nah, you don't think Mac Jones is it? No, I I don't think he's talented enough. I think he's going to be a product of the situation. You think he's a loser? No, I think he's a, I think he's a fine player. I just don't <laughs> think I would take him in the NFL draft in the first round. I would go try to get Carson Wentz. If not him, I would go see what it takes to get Sam Darnold. I think if he's in the right situation, he can still be potentially successful. Somebody on the text line mentions if I'm the Colts or Steelers, I would trade for Matt Stafford. That's the other thing. There's going to be some guys out there that are veterans that are available. Yeah, they're not long term answers potentially, but Jimmy Garoppolo, what what is he potentially going to get on the open market? What is the plan for Matt Stafford? A team like the Colts, they should explore all of those opportunities. It really, to me, starts and ends with the quarterback situation. Do you try? They're, they're talented everywhere else. Do you try and pry Daniel Jones away from the Giants? No, I'm not interested in Daniel Jones. Over uh, Sam Darnold, you're not interested not in him. Interested? Really? Not interested in him. Okay. Um, next one up. Now what for the Chicago Bears? Huh. What comes next for the Chicago Bears? They've got a, a million different decisions to make this offseason. Ferrario, where do you start with them? Simple. Lock up Mitch Trubisky. Oh, Lock him up after yesterday. Now, look, I don't know what the quarterback scenario is right now, but you got to find yourself an offensive coordinator who can help Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy, who is the offensive guy, he's the offensive mindset 
it felt like it was too much for him. It felt like it was too much for him to manage both the offense and defense as the head coach and manage the clock. Find yourself an offensive mind to work next to Nagy. And again, if you want to find a different quarterback, I'll listen, but I don't think Mitch is the problem. I'm with Greeny here. Uh, Mike Greenberg, who I'm speaking of, who we played the audio yesterday. But I'm finding myself a better offensive mind. I know you got to figure out a better running game, find some more weapons, as Allen Robinson is probably pissed off and wants out. Yep. But my mindset is I got to get somebody to help Matt Nagy. Can I be honest? Oh, here we go. I think this is a perfect tanking team. Maybe it does mean bringing back Mitchell Trubisky on the franchise tag because he could be a really helpful player to get you to a top five pick. Is that how you 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 is this your fast lane turd sandwich for a Mitchell Trubisky yeah. here? Mitchell Yikes. Trubisky. Maybe you do resign him. He stinks, but he could potentially get is. you a top five pick. The There's fast lane crap sandwich. sandwich. I I don't know what the plan is for them, man, because they are in a division where they're, they're not going to overtake the, the Packers. The problem is their defense is too good for them to be bad. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how you go into next year and are like, we can win four games with this defense. You've got too many quality players on that side of the ball. Akeem Hicks is awesome. Eddie Goldman's a really good player. Khalil Mack is awesome. Robert Quinn's really good. Roquan Smith's a star in the making right now. Fuller's good. Eddie Jack. They are too good defensively and have too many quality players on that side of the ball for them to be bad next year. So it comes back to the quarterback position. You've got to find an answer. The problem for them, though, is it's not just quarterback. You got a bad offensive line, bad receivers without Allen Robinson and a bad quarterback. You've got so many holes on the offensive side that it's almost like the the boat that you're sinking in that has holes everywhere. Yeah. And you're trying to plug them and you've got your hands going in every which way, right? It's like the cartoon character that suddenly has eight arms. I don't know how you go about ultimately being able to plug all of those holes this offseason. Start finding some corks, Chicago. <laughs> Film that boat. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on one SPN. Coming up next, Patrick Sharp is a former NHL forward. He is a current NHL analyst for NBC Sports Network. He's going to join us on the other side to preview this blue season and what he expects from this Western division. Patrick Sharp coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by NHL analyst for NBC Sports. He is Patrick Sharp, former NHL forward, joining us here on the show. Patrick, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So, I mean, let's start with the obvious. We are 24 hours away now from the start of the NHL season. Was there ever a point in time, Patrick, where you were worried we wouldn't potentially get here? Oh, yeah. I was paying attention every single day waiting for the announcement that the season was going to start on time. I need something to do, guys. I got to get out (laughs) of the house. I'm uh, teaching my kids right now homeschool. I got the morning shift. It's not going very well. Mom's got to come in around noon and save the day pretty much five days a week. So I need to get out of the house. I need to get back to the studio, start watching some games and We've been here before with shortened seasons. Uh, not too long ago, the NHL played a 48-game season starting in January. Playoffs were awesome. The regular season was great. So uh, I'm excited that uh, we're going to have hockey on TV for pretty much every night now until we hand that cup out. Yeah, for, for so long, Patrick, I would imagine you feel like you can do anything, right? You win a Stanley Cup. You're breaking down hockey. You know the game like the back of your hand. But once you become a virtual teacher for your kids, it <laughs> changes an awful lot, doesn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I get no respect as the teacher. You know, I try to be disciplining the kids and uh, <laughs> teaching them what I know, and they just laugh and joke and want to play and wrestle all the time. So it's it's a losing cause for sure. Understandable, understandable. Well, Patrick, let me ask you that because you were a part of that lockout season, that shortened season where you guys picked it up in January and you played the 48-game schedule, which was against the division opponents. How different is that season going to be compared to this season where it's 56 games, 116 days, you're playing the same opponent eight times i would imagine that's going to be very different yeah that's the tricky part saying playing within the division so much and seeing the uh, the same team over and over again a lot of back-to-backs throughout the whole course of the season so that's that's the only wrinkle in this season we'll be interested to see how that all plays out but as far as the shortened season 56 versus 48 i think it's all pretty much the same you want to start fast you want to start healthy and you don't want to be chasing at any point in the season and Going back to 2013, I remember some of those preseason skates that would have been around Christmas time, early January. The season started January 15th back then. And I remember looking at my line mate, Patrick Kane, and line rushes saying, like, boy, what do we have here as a group? Are we any good? Are we going to win games? Like, I have no idea how good this team is. And sure enough, we went on to go undefeated in the first 24 games of the season and win the Stanley (laughs) Cup that year. So I don't know if any team in the league can confidently say, uh, they know what they have, and they know how this season is going to play out. It's, it's start fast, uh, get your stuff together early. And, and to, for me, that, that bodes well for the Blues. they got a veteran team, you know, not a whole lot of turnover throughout their lineup, a few big pieces missing, but for the most part, they know their system, coaches in place. they got their leadership group there all set and ready to start the season. So I expect big things from the Blues. We're talking to Patrick Sharp, NHL analyst for NBC Sports, former NHL forward. Of course, you probably know him as the former Blackhawks forward. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Patrick, I did want to ask you about, you know, that early season and what it's going to be like to potentially be able to develop some of that chemistry. There's one line where there is significant turnover for the Blues, and that's the Mike Hoffman line with Robert Thomas and Jaden Schwartz. You mentioned that shortened season that you went into, and you're like, I, I don't know what we have here. How long does it take to develop that chemistry for a guy like Robert Thomas now centering with two guys that he hasn't had a ton of experience with? Yeah, it can happen quick, and it all depends on the players. And you're talking about Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman, two pretty quality hockey players right there. They think the game uh, offensively, they can make all the plays. Uh, Thomas is a great distributor of the puck, and it's tough to find a guy with a better shot in the league right now than Mike Hoffman. So he had a guy like Schwartz. I'm not sure if he's going to start on the left side with that unit or not, but he's a up-and-down winger that's going to do a lot of the dirty work in the offensive zone, get to the front of the net, and, of course, help out defensively. But the key to the Blues forward group, to me, you know, we know about the Ryan O'Reilly line, and they also have the, the fourth line, the checking line, whatever we want to label them with, with Sunquist and Barbashev, when you got two units like that, that you can trot out there and you know that goals against are going to be down. It's going to be tough hockey to play against. When you're a Mike Hoffman and a Robert Thomas and you hop over the boards, you're going to get favorable matchups. The game's going to feel like momentum's on your side. And I think it's a perfect spot for Hoffman to kind of slot into a team that, that knows how to win games. He's going to be good on the power play. And, and that's going to be a key line for the Blues getting some big-time scoring from like. I guess we could call it a secondary role, but really those are some top flight guys right there. You know, Patrick, everyone knows what Mike Hoffman can do in the NHL and blues fans know exactly what Jaden Schwartz is, but do you see this as a breakout season for Robert Thomas being in this role? I do actually. That's a good way to put it too. I've seen so many glimpses of it over the years and going back to that awesome playoff run when the blues won the cup, it seemed like the build up to these big game sevens or whenever it, like the game was on the line, 
it was always Robert Thomas making a play in the offensive zone, having a great game. I know the numbers didn't really reflect that he had this awesome playoff, but he showed me that in the pressure moments, he was going to be a player. And, you know, he's playing in the center ice position. I think back then he was on the wing for most of that playoff run, but two great wingers. He's surrounded by a deep forward group. You know, we didn't even mention the Bozak line yeah. uh, with uh, Stanford and, and Kairou potentially could be his wingers. There's a lot of depth on that forward group. And when you're skilled like Thomas and Hoffman, you can kind of get lost in the fray there and get some favorable matchups and, and score a lot of goals. So that's where I'll be looking for the Blues lineup. We're going to be really excited about the forwards, but the, the defensive pairings is really where the, the changes came this offseason, Patrick. And Tory Krug is the big one. You no longer have, unfortunately, Alex Petrangelo, but Tory Krug comes in. For Blues fans that, I mean, we saw him in the Stanley Cup final, but for Blues fans that haven't seen a bunch other than that from Tory Krug, what should they expect from him this season? Yeah, I think I think Blues fans are going to fall in love with Tory Krug pretty quickly. Um, I can tell you playing against Krug, I didn't like him right off the jump. I, 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 I There's something about him that rubbed me the wrong way, probably because he played for the Boston Bruins. <laughs> and they were always a, a top team in the East, and he would never take a, a backward step, and he'd compete so hard and cross-check you and battle hard in front of the net. Uh, and as I started watching him more and more over the years, uh, I started to see a guy that just competes like crazy out there and wants to win. That kind of fits the mold of the Boston Bruins. So enjoying the St. Louis Blues, he's the guy that's going to really help on the power play. I mean, you're talking O'Reilly, you have David Perron, Hoffman's going to be on that unit. You throw a Tory Krug up there, that's, that's going to be a dangerous power play unit. That's going to be... Um, he'll be paying off that contract just by running the power play. But you watch, you see this Tory crew compete in the D zone. Uh, he knows when to play hard and uh, it's all the time. So he'd, get, he'd be a guy that I'd want on my team, Tory Krug, if I was, uh, if I was running things. And I think blues fans are really going to like, it. I mean, you're not going to fill the shoes of Petrangelo and the captain. He's been there a long time and is a, a first class guy. It's tough to see him leave, but, Hey, not bad when you get a guy like Tory Krug on the market. Yeah, without question. And Patrick, you know, uh, Blues fans aren't going to like to hear this, but you were a part of a team that had a really deep and strong defensive unit in Chicago. And of course, on top of that, Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. How do you view this defensive core in a hole for the Blues with Krug, who you just mentioned, but you got Pareko and Falk and Scandella, Bortuzzo, Dunn. Is this as deep of a defensive unit that you can look at and say this is going to be a solid core? Yeah, it looks like they've got some pieces that are ready to take the next step in their development. you got to stop telling the people listening right now that I'm a former Blackhawk <laughs> and uh, played for the Hawks all those years. I, I don't want to get any more hate mail from the St. Louis folks. I spent the All-Star game there. I had a great time with a lot of the fans. We were there for the Stanley Cup final. I thought we were all... You know, friendly now, well, Patrick. And we are, and Patrick. Fans, Patrick, so. you're retired. You're an alumni now. You're a broadcaster. We we love the <laughs> fact you're an NHL superstar now. But yeah. at the time, it was a Blackhawk, and we just couldn't get on board with it. Okay, that's what it is. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> we're we're still on good terms. Yes, we are. As far as the as far as the Blues depth goes, you know, it's going to be as deep as as how he, how well these guys step up and take a step in their development. Vince Dunn is a guy on the left side that. You know, he really thinks the game well offensively. I think he can get better and, and really jump off the page yet when you, when you look at the lineup. And there's a, a defenseman that that uh, I kind of have a soft spot for, and that's Robert Bortuzzo. We're from the same hometown in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and trained a lot with Bortzi growing up. I know he's an awesome guy. He's kind of paid his dues as a sixth, seventh defenseman for a long time there um, in St. Louis. And I, I'm ready to see him take that next step and really start throwing some bodies around, being that physical presence on the back end that, 
trust me, as a, as a former Blackhawk and as a former player, it's not <laughs> fun playing the wing when you got guys like Bortuzzo matched up against you, cross-checking you and hitting you all the time. So they got some solid D there as well. Patrick Sharp joining us here on the show. Patrick, last question that I had for you. We talked about this earlier today, and we've talked about it a lot in recent weeks. The Blues are now in this West Division, the Pacific Division, if you will, along with the Avalanche, the Knights, the Coyotes, and then all of the teams from California along with the Wild. How would you assess this division? Because obviously you have the Knights, the Blues, the Avalanche. Everybody views them as kind of the top three teams in this division. Outside of that, though, how much depth do you think that this division has in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question, honestly, to answer at this point. I'm looking at all the divisions, and it's like, I don't know. Who has the strongest division? Who's got the most well-balanced group? We could go through it and, and beat it down, but I'm looking, and I see Vegas, who... Trust me, they're thinking they're going to win the Stanley Cup, right? They got their eyes set on that. St. Louis is in that conversation. Colorado, that's all we hear about is how talented and skilled and deep that group is. They just added Brandon Saad, a guy that I used to play with that's yeah. been around a while. Those three teams right there, like let's flip a coin on day one of the season and, and take your pick on who's better there. Uh, it'll be fun to see it play out. I look at the California teams, most notably Anaheim and L.A., and everyone just assumes that they're going to be you know, 14th and 15th in the conference again and not going to win any games. They've been kind of grinding away and developing some young talent that I think is going to really burst onto the scenes this year. It's going to be a different type of season. It's not going to be the 20,000 people in every building and ride the energy of the fans. It's going to be a little bit different still, right? There's going to be a limited amount of people in the buildings. The game's going to be fast. You guys are going to be rusty out the jump, and uh, it's really up for grabs. But I'm with you guys when you mentioned those three teams, St. Louis, Colorado, and Vegas. I'd be shocked if those three teams weren't at the top of the division by the end of the year. Hey, Patrick, final one that I got for you, buddy, and I want to compare this to a guy that you're very familiar with who just announced his retirement in Corey Crawford. A lot of people are looking at Bennington this season and saying, oh, well, we're not sure what he is. Is he the cup guy or is he the bubble guy? Corey Crawford went through this a little bit in Chicago. I mean, he was an AHL guy who was well. He came into Chicago. It wasn't anything that kind of took your breath away, but it was that lockout shortened season that he kind of ran with it and won the cup. How do you view the faith right now in Jordan Bennington going into this season? Yeah, I'd be confident that he'd be my goaltender. Um, I understand where the concerns come from. Blues losing the playoffs last year. Bennington wasn't at his best. At least he wasn't the same goaltender as he was the year before. But trust me, I watched every game of the playoffs last year in the bubble, and there was a lot of strange things happening. I feel like it was... (laughs) appropriate for the year that we've been having everybody but you know Bington to me is a guy that he's been there and done that he's had that experience in those big moments and performed well he's got the Stanley Cup under his belt so sometimes I think when you start your NHL career that way Matt Murray's a guy in Pittsburgh that did it as well he won back-to-back cups with the Penguins and then all of a sudden you just assume that these guys are going to win the cup every year and be these incredible goaltenders well people have up and down years and when you're a goaltender you're exposed that much more but if I'm the Blues and I look back and I see Bennington and Nett, knowing what he's done for the team in the past and what he's capable of doing, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's going to have a good season. I couldn't agree more. Patrick, I can't say thank you enough, man, for hopping on with us. And, you know, we joked about the Blackhawks, and you want to keep people in St. Louis on the good side with you. Well, we just got a text <laughs> line uh, during the interview. said, I think he does a great job as an analyst, plus Patrick Sharp's too gorgeous to stay <laughs> mad at. So uh, there you go, buddy. St. Louis loves you no matter what. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Patrick, thanks so much for the time. Always appreciate it, man. All the best to you and the family.
All right, take care. You got it. That's Patrick Sharp, former NHL player, current NHL analyst for NBC Sports. Always appreciate him hopping on. He was tremendous. That yeah. was that was really good stuff on uh, Tory Krug, Ro- Robert Thomas potentially making that next step. What an awesome guy, an awesome analyst who uh, does a tremendous job yeah. in my and, mind. And he mentioned a guy that I think a lot of people need to talk about this season, Robert Bortuzzo. I mean, he's going to be a factor this year. He's not a top guy, but he's going to be the physical presence that you need on that last unit. So uh, I, Patrick does a phenomenal job, like you mentioned, BK on NBC Sports. So it was fun to talk to him and get a little look at the Blues. Always appreciate that. There is some NFL news that I want to get to on the other side. Plus, we'll dive into the junk drawer right here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Kylie, it is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So I wanted to dive into something in the junk drawer today that I saw on Snopes. Now, if you're not familiar with the site, they basically research claims, right? If there is something that is claimed online, they go into research it to find out if it is true or not. So there was a claim. If you've been watching the news over the last week, you've probably heard something about the U.S. Capitol. I'm not getting into the to the political side of things. However, there was a claim that an Alabama man who was in attendance during that insurrection suffered a fatal heart attack after he accidentally tased himself in the testicles. Oh, Snopes has researched the claim. Yikes. They have determined that this was false. He did not pass away after accidentally uh, tasing himself in the testicles. Apparently, this 55-year-old man from Alabama was in this whole situation. They spoke with his wife, who told them that there was no truth to the rumor. That's what you do. You always go to the missus to find out if he's lying or not. I'm trying to imagine, and I'm not trying to make light of the fact that somebody passed away and obviously the situation as a whole, awful. However, this particular situation, can you imagine being the person from Snopes that is put in charge of this case and is told, hey, we need you to call this gentleman's wife to find out if he tased himself in the testicles or not. God, I would love to take that phone call. Would love to be able to be the guy that called up the wife and say, look, this is a weird phone call. I'm sure you're Mrs. not. Mrs. Greason, I apologize yes. for the inconvenience um, four days after your husband passed. Right. I have to ask you what may be viewed as an insensitive question, though. Did your husband truly die because he tased himself in the testicles? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the answer is no. And like, do you have follow ups then? <laughs> Yeah, because you can't follow up and say, well, how did he pass away, right? What, what do you do in that spot? Like, if you're the person that is calling, you, you're you just doing your job. It's not as if you're trying to be difficult, but you're trying to get to the bottom of what happened here. Man, I, I, I also wonder what are the worst calls that that gentleman or woman has made from Snopes? Like, if this wasn't at the top of the list for that person, I would love to know what was at the top of that list. I'm going to... This is from the Air Comfort Service text line uh, 636. I'm going to go ahead and choose to believe that he did tase himself in the testes, <laughs> regardless of the wife said. And you know what? That's an interesting point. Do you want your husband to be 
remembered as the guy who died because he decided to taste himself the testicles in the middle of an insurrection. You, yes, <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want your husband to re- be remembered that way. So wouldn't you lie about that and say, "Oh, well, no, of course he yes, did." Yes, yeah. absolutely, you no. have to. Yeah, I feel like it is your obligation, especially after your husband has passed, right. to help his legacy, and that cannot be the yes. legacy. Yeah, you might want to like lie and say, "Well, he got tased in the testes by somebody else, Correct. right? He was in a bar fight and someone busted out a taser and went right at his junk." Well, speaking of junk, BK, because oh, of God. course this is the junk drawer. No, we're not going that route. That's not me here. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, because we all know that Juju Smith-Schuster was the reason the Steelers lost their wildcard game against the Browns, because he decided to call out all of Cleveland. Well, now Chase Claypool is just uh, adding fuel to the fire. Oh, God. Let me ask you, if you're an athlete, BK, and you get beaten, badly beaten, because in my opinion, a Browns team without their head coach and offensive lineman, that's a bad beat. It's horrible. You don't go out there in the the exit interviews that you do with the media and say that my opinion is the Browns aren't the Browns. They're going to get their bleeps kicked this weekend against the Chiefs. We have that audio, by the way. If you want to grab this, Chase Claypool was on Twitch last night. Did I uh, did I step on your? No, I, no, okay. no, please. He, he was on Twitch last night and he was asked at the beginning about the loss, you know, and somebody from the I, I'm not great on Twitch, but somebody from the viewing audience put in the chat. Hey, what'd you think about the loss? And here's what Chase Claypool had to say. You know, bad loss, but um, Browns are going to get clapped next week. So it's all good. It's trash in my opinion. So here's why it's trash. This gentleman who is not playing this upcoming weekend just gave the Cleveland Browns even more motivation as if they needed it <laughs> to beat my Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> oh, Jamie Rivers has been talking for months about how there's this feud between Tyron Matthew and Tyreek Hill. And you've got all of this stuff going on off of the field that Jamie's tried to throw in my face. Well, and he's telling you, you need to make sure you fear the chub for this game. <laughs> the Chiefs went 14 and 2, 14 and 1, whenever their starters played. Had That's a fantastic true. season. It never got to them. But then you've got this from Chase Claypool. And if the Chiefs lose on Sunday, it's going to be not on them. It will not be on Patrick Mahomes. You know I'm not going to blame that gentleman. Baker's better than Patrick. It is 100% on Chase Claypool for bringing this nonsense into my life. This is on him. Yeah, I just I don't understand. Like, just just accept the loss and walk away. And just don't sit there and chirp the team that just beat you. I don't understand that. Like, I just don't understand what inside of you is like, ah, yeah, they kicked our you-know-whats, but ah, they're going to lose next week. Okay, but at least it wasn't to you. Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, I appreciate that you guys are outspoken, that you guys have interesting personalities. (laughs) Are we sure? We don't we don't need this. We don't need this coming from you after you lost. And that's coming from a Chiefs fan. I I certainly don't need that going into the Chiefs game. That's for (laughs) alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, there is one thing that stands out to me. That is polar opposites between the AFC and the NFC going into this divisional round. I'll tell you what that is and what it means for both conferences moving forward. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The only reason the Ravens won that football game yesterday were two plays by Lamar Jackson. 
third and nine, the scramble when he finds Mark Andrews at the back half of the first quarter because they looked like absolute trash offensively up until then. And then the scramble that you see on your screen right now because that scramble, the defense is a really good play call. And they play it defensively really, really, really well. And it still didn't matter. It still didn't matter because Lamar was so special on that singular play. That was Dan Orlovsky over the weekend talking about how Lamar proved all of the doubters wrong, including me. One thing that he did over the weekend that I wasn't sure he could do came back from a deficit of at least 10 points. Yeah. It's the first time in his career that he has done that. And it's something that we talked about a lot during the season. It's why I didn't really believe in the Ravens as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, because I thought if this team gets down, I'm not sure they have the ability to come back. I think they're really, really good when they're playing from ahead. When they get down, I'm not sure about Lamar as a guy that's going to bring you back. He was able to do it last week. He did a fantastic job and deserves all the praise for it. He is one of a number of young quarterbacks, though, on the AFC side of things that is able to advance to the divisional round. Can you believe out of the four quarterbacks remaining in the AFC, Baker Mayfield is the oldest one, 25 years old. He is the oldest quarterback that remains on the AFC side of things. And I think that is really symbolic of where that conference is right now. If you look across that conference, you've got a ton of teams that feel like they've got their answer at quarterback that is young. You look at the Bills with Josh Allen. They know they've got their quarterback for the future. The Ravens with Lamar. The Browns with Baker. The Bengals now believe that with Joe Burrow. You feel that way with the Texans and Deshaun Watson as long as he's there long term. The Chiefs, the Chargers, that's half the conference. I just named seven teams without even bringing up Tua because we'll see there, right? Mm -hmm. But it's possible they feel that way as well. That is half of the conference that thinks young future starter is on the roster right now. It's the polar opposite in the NFC. Yeah. The only young quarterback that remains on the NFC side of things is Jared Goff. And Mm. it's not because of him that they're here right now. Otherwise, you've got old guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees that remain. Are we considering Russell Wilson old? No, but he's not remaining anymore. 32. He's kind of in that mid tier. That's true. Um, But the NFC as a whole, you bring up Russell Wilson. I had to include him among the guys that I think like if you're looking at young, controllable future starters for your team that are on the roster right now, I think there's only three in the NFC that feel this way. It's the Cowboys, the Seahawks and the Cardinals Cowboys with Dak if they decide to go that route. And, and would you even consider him there. controllable because he's going to be a free agent and he's going to get paid as long as they decide to re-sign him, yeah. I guess would be the case there. The Seahawks with Russ, if you consider him to still be young, right? He certainly is. And then the Cardinals really are the only ones that have their future starter that is young, truly young on the roster right now. It's wild, man, the way that these two conferences are almost in polar opposites right now. And it seems they flipped, too, because for so long, the AFC was viewed as that old conference with Brady and Peyton and, and kind of until Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson came on the scene. That's when it started to flip. But go back three years ago, BK, three years ago, we were talking of Jared Goff being the next big thing. We were talking of Carson Wentz being the next big thing. We were talking about a Josh Rosen who was drafted high. Like they had all of the pieces in place, but it seems that they fell apart at some point. Like the only old guys at the time were Brady and Breeze, right? And then in the NFC, it just seems like all of the guys that were expected to be on the rise, 
did not we work out a generation we skipped there was like a five-year period where we the, like there is basically between russell wilson and the 25-ish range the guys like deshaun watson yeah. patrick mahomes um baker mayfield there's nobody yeah because you've got like the jared goff class with carson wentz that didn't amount to what they expected it to be we just skipped this five-year period where the quarterbacks for whatever reason just didn't really work out. And now we're getting a glut, right? It's almost like that mm-hmm. early 2000s from basically 98, 99 up until about 04. There were so many good uh, draft classes with high-end quarterbacks that ended up having these tremendous career. You can even include 05 because that's Alex Smith and um, Aaron Rodgers yeah. were in that class as well. You had so many high-level quarterbacks that came from those classes. It was the golden generation of quarterback. I think we're getting there again now. And the AFC has kind of hoarded all of these guys right now. And the crazy part, it could happen again this offseason. I was off just going to say, they're going to hoard even more of them. Because Jacksonville is going to get Trevor Lawrence. The Jets are in position, if they want to, to take whether it be Wilson or Fields. The Dolphins pick third if they want to go this route. And whether it be Deshaun Watson or picking a quarterback there, they could go that The first time you get to a team in the NFC that could take one of these quarterbacks in this upcoming draft is the Falcons at number four overall. And even if they take one, you might not see him. You might be a year or two behind Matt Ryan before you actually see him as the next big thing. It's wild, man. And so we are in a situation right now where the AFC is full. It is full of these young up and coming quarterbacks that we all believe are going to be really good and are the answers for their respective teams. And the NFC just isn't there. And it doesn't seem like the answers are on the way. So whenever it is officially the end for Brady and Breeze in particular, Mm -hmm. There's going to be a little bit of time in the NFC where it's kind of up for grabs as to the battle of supremacy for the next quarterback behind Rodgers and Wilson. I don't think there's an obvious answer right now behind those guys. How much of this is on bad drafting or on the fact of bad contracts? Because the more I think of it, I mean, you look at the bad drafting side, Chicago Bears in a a world of their own. Giants, Giants, Washington. I mean, they've tried. But then you look at bad contracts and you look at what the Minnesota Vikings have done to themselves with uh, with Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. The San Francisco 49ers have done with them and Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo. Like, it's kind of both. the Rams, frankly, with Jared Goff. It's both angles of it, right? Mm -hmm. To where you've given either bad contracts and put yourself in a bad position to find that next guy, or you have just completely punted it on the draft and you've either gone an opposite route or you haven't found the right quarterback yeah it's it's really interesting man and i i can't believe that we've arrived here because if you would if we would have had the same conversation you're right about three or four years ago we would have been talking about this with the nfc side of things because at that point in time jared goff looked like he was on the up and up we thought carson wentz was going to be a future star i remember talking with kevin wheeler when it was uh his show in the middays and i was producing And we talked about how the Eagles looked like they were about to begin a potential dynasty right after that Super Bowl, right? Because MVP, the, yeah. the roster was loaded and you had Carson Wentz coming back and they had all of this talent. And we believed in that coaching staff. And three years later, here we are. Doug Peterson is fired. Carson Wentz looks like he's out the door. The defense has been completely depleted right. from all of its talent. It's it changes very quickly in the league. So maybe some of these guys in the AFC will not work out. And some of them in the NFC, we start feeling better about soon. Right. But as of today, it feels like it's one conference with a bunch of young up and coming quarterbacks. And the other one that is 
still reeling, trying to find their answers at I mean, the position. Think about that, too. I mean, Washington misses on Robert Griffin III, who gets hurt. Uh, the Vikings miss on Teddy Bridgewater, who gets hurt. For a while, Cam Newton was the next big thing, and it didn't work out hurt. because he got – it seems like guys getting injured are what's ruining the NFC quarterback, and then you get into the same draft conversation where it just seems the teams can't draft quarterbacks. I did want to mention this stat that I found yesterday from CBS Sports. Full credit to them for coming for finding this. Um, I, I have been the last one to get aboard the Tom Brady is the best ever conversation jumping on. Oh, there's, I was the last one on and I was the guy that did it after the Falcons game. There was no more Jamie. You did it, it. buddy. You did it. This is an unbelievable statistic. So this comes from CBS after taking down the Washington professional football team. Tom Brady now has 31 career postseason victories, 31. That is nearly twice as many as Joe Montana, who has the second most in NFL history. Joe Montana has won 16 playoff games in his career, won 16 playoff games in his career. Tom Brady has won 31 and is still going. Brady's 31 wins have come against 17 different teams, meaning he has actually defeated more teams in the playoffs than any other quarterback in the history of the league has postseason wins as a whole. Brady's beat more teams than any other quarterback has wins in the playoffs. (laughs) I, if ever there was a statistic that shows you the pure dominance of not just Brady, but also the Patriots as well over the years, That's it. And if he's able to do this, if he's able to beat the Saints this upcoming weekend and they're able to go on a run, the Bucs are, man, it's not just Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever. It is it is going to go to heights of he Jerry Rice. I think a lot of people believe is the best football player ever. I think there's going to be some conversations here very, very soon about Brady ultimately overtaking Michael Jordan football player. It's Michael Jordan level. I mean, when you talk about the sport, you think of one person and I think that's Tom Brady all by himself. And what would be interesting is to find out what teams he hasn't beaten of those 17 in the playoffs. Now, some teams aren't going to make it into the playoffs, but I mean, think about it. He's got this year where you would imagine it's going to be the Saints, the Packers, and whoever is going to be in that mm-hmm. in that uh, Super Bowl. But then you got next year as well. He's got one more year in his contract. And I mean, if you don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to make noise again next year, you're sadly mistaken. I mean, he could honestly get this number to 20, depending on what yeah. those teams look like. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It, it's absolutely insane that he is still doing this at such a high level. And he was pretty darn good over the weekend as well. Played really well. I'll be very interested to see what he looks like next Sunday against the um, New Orleans Saints. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game game of bet it or forget it, including bet it or forget it. Major League Baseball is actually going to start spring training on time and they'll play 162 games next year. Bet it or forget it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So yesterday there was an update from Major League Baseball. We heard from Rob Manfred. He said basically, hey, Major League Baseball teams are fully expecting right now to play 162 games. They are expecting to report to training camp on, or excuse me, spring training on time. There's no reason to believe otherwise. So let's start better or forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. Better or forget it, Alex. Major League Baseball will indeed play 162 games this season, and they will start spring training on time. 
I'm going to bet this one, and I think I might be the ultimate optimist on this yeah. because I know a lot of people don't expect this to happen. But, look, you could talk about the bad blood between these two sides all of you, all you want. You can talk about how COVID is still a major issue in pro sports, which it is. I'm not disregarding that. Mm-hmm. But if you're Major League Baseball and you just saw college football complete their season, you're seeing college basketball, you're seeing the NBA, you're going to see the NHL go through a season – How do you make the argument, other than the fact that you don't have fans in the stands, but let's be honest, a lot of these stadiums will be able to because we're building up to that. How do you make the argument of it's not worth spending or starting on time? If you're the commissioner, how do you allow the owner side to say, it's not worth starting, let's push this off and play less games? You can't. It's going to be difficult legally to do so, especially after, like you said, we've seen it work. We saw the NFL get to where they are right now. They're in the divisional round. We saw um, college football get, you know, it was rough at times. Yes. They got through their season, and, and it's harder to do this in a college campus setting than it is for the, them to do it on the professional side of things. Right. Major League Baseball was able to get through its 60-game season and the playoffs. We saw the NHL in the bubble, NBA in the bubble. NBA right now is having some trouble, I know, and they're potentially looking at pausing the season. But if you're Major League Baseball, it's really difficult for me to come up with a reason as to why you wouldn't start on time. Maybe you ultimately find some hurdles and that prevents you from starting on time then. But right now, it's tough for me to come up with a legal reason as to why you could do that. And this. you just completed a season two. And look, from the moment the Cardinals finished their outbreak, the season smooth or went pretty smoothly. Like we didn't have any more Cardinals or Miami Marlins scenarios the rest of that season. And on top of it, you can't look at the NBA. The NBA operates with 12 players, right? Like if you don't have yeah. seven guys, you can't play. Good point. Baseball's got a 40 man roster that you can operate with, with now you're going to have minor league seasons. There's no legal way. Major league baseball's owners can sit there and tell the players, no, nope, we're not going to do this. You're not going to play till May or June. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Ferrario. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the best odds, the best value to win the Super Bowl at nine to one. So I'll give you some of these other teams right now. Here are the Vegas odds on who will win the Super Bowl this year. The Chiefs, according to FanDuel's Paradise Sportsbook app, use that promo code 101, are listed at two to one. Okay. The Packers are four to one. The Saints are five and a half to one. Bills are currently six to one. Damn right. The Ravens are eight to one. What? The Bucks are nine to one behind all of those other teams that I just mentioned. And then to round things out, you've got the Rams at 22 to one and the Browns at 30 to one. Take the Rams. 22 to, 22 to one Rams. Hell no. T-Bone, stop waving your hands in the air. Rams aren't going to. I would take the Browns at 30 to one. I think I would take the Browns over the Bucks. If the Browns okay. beat the Chiefs, how can you realistically tell me that the Browns don't have a shot at winning the Super Bowl? I think they'd be hard-pressed to win, beat any of those teams coming from the NFC. Really? Yeah, I think they'd have a really tough time with any of those teams. If they the beat NFC. the Chiefs, they'll have mm-hmm. a hard Because, t- see, I think once you get over that juggernaut, if you were able to, it's... I think they... Beating one of them is one thing. Then parlaying that and also beating either the Ravens or the Bills is another thing. And then parlaying it once again and hitting the three-leg parlay and you get to the Super Bowl and you still have to beat either the Packers, Saints, Bills, or the Rams. Probably Packers, Saints, or Bills. I'm getting all excited. I'm getting all excited. Here's the thing with the Bucs, though. Bucs make me nervous. And we just talked about Tom Brady. 
but the Bucks almost lost to a XFL backup quarterback. Touche, sir. Right? <laughs> That's a good I point. Mean, and that defense, which is probably the best defense right now, other than the Rams yeah. in the wild card round that we saw, that defense almost shut them down. So the Bucks make me nervous. And if I'm going odds, I think I'm going all out. And if I'm going real big, I think the Browns got a realistic shot at making some noise and winning. It's, it's an interesting point. I would probably go with the Bucks. I think I would bet this at nine to one. I think that's your best bet because I think they actually have a real chance to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I don't feel that way about the Rams or the Browns. No. I don't think either of those two teams could actually win it. I would if you told me before the season that we would get to the playoffs, the divisional round and the Bucks would be nine to one to win the Super Bowl. I would have told you you're insane. Yeah, there's no way that is the case, because if they've got here, if they arrived at this place. They're very likely going to be one of the favorites. I still kind of feel that way. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat the Saints this weekend. I'm not going to be surprised if they beat either the Packers or the Rams in the NFC championship game. They, to me, are the best bet right now at nine to one to win the Super Bowl. Air Comfort Service text on six, five, seven, eight, oh, Alex is betting with Monopoly money. Is that a thing? Can you do that? Because if that's the case, I am all over this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. Let's go to this. There's some news in the NFL that I wanted to get to. The Texans, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, have officially requested an interview with Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Already a busy candidate, he adds another interview to a short list. This is the Texans owner just trying to use every fire extinguisher in the building to save Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. And they are, of course, reacting to Watson whenever he said that he was furious and all of the reports that have come out over the last few weeks or few days. Now, I will add this. It appears that BNME cannot, according to the NFL's protocols, cannot interview with the Texans until after the Chiefs lose in the playoffs or after they win the Super Bowl. One of those two, right? Whatever comes first. So it'll be a minute before he's able to interview with the Texans. Bet it or forget it, Ferrario. Eric Bieniemy will be the Texans' next head coach. I'm going to bet it. No, you know what? I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget this one. I think if you're Eric Bieniemy, you want to go somewhere where the roster is set up. Deshaun Watson, superstar. No question. That team is in a hellhole right now. Like, no draft picks. Offensive line is all messed up. You have no wide receivers. Your defense needs an upgrade. That team is in a major makeover. If I'm the enemy, I want to go to the Falcons, where I got a lot of pieces in place. It's just a matter of finding the Do next you have quarterback. The quarterback. I think you got the quarterback for now until you can find one in the draft. But what? Do you have your quarterback? Depend on what's this draft looks like. Who do you take in the draft? I think if they're they're picking what third right now? Fourth? Fourth, Fourth. right behind the, the Dolphins. If they can get Fields, you take it. If you can take Wilson, you take him. I don't think either of them are going to be there. I think the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks this year. You think the Dolphins are going to take one I think of they those either take one or they trade out. And if they trade out, wouldn't you trade with the Falcons? Move three to four and wherever. I yeah. mean, whoever offers you the most, right? I bet you there's somebody that's a little bit more desperate that would ultimately be able to trade up. Yeah. So I don't think they have their quarterback. So I would say for me, I know, I know I've laughed, laughed a lot. We've all laughed at the expense of the Texans. They have the most important player at the most important position ready to go. Deshaun Watson is amazing. He's one of the five best quarterbacks in the league right now. He's young. He's under contract. He's going to be there long term. And he has publicly stated that he was furious with the organization for not interviewing you. He, Deshaun Watson, has tied himself to you, Eric Bieniemy. You are tied to the most important person in that organization. I would take it. I would bet it. 
I think Eric Bieniemy is going to be the next Texans head coach, and I think it's a really good fit for him. God, if I'm I Eric Bieniemy, I'm going to ask for a king's ransom from the Houston Texans because, like, of course. they have to get you. If you, you want Watson, they have to get you. You've got them over a barrel. You have all of the leverage in this spot, and it, I think you've got to pl- you've you've got to use that to your the best of your ability. And I think he will. I think he's going to be the next head coach of the Houston Texans. Last one here: six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet Bet it or forget it, Alex Ferrario. The Rams defense will make Aaron Rodgers look humid on Saturday and find a way to pull off a massive upset in Green Bay. Forget it. Forget it. I mean, look, even when teams have shut down Devontae Adams, which you imagine Jalen Ramsey, Adams, that's your matchup. He's still made Marquez Scantling or Valdez Scantling and Lazard and Russell Ta- or Robert Tanyan. Russell Tanyan, what are the two? Tanyan. Tanyan. He's made all of these guys look like pro bowlers. Aaron Rodgers, without question, is the MVP. Aaron Donald for the Rams side was banged up towards the end of that last game. Uh, You don't know if he's 100%. I'm forgetting it. I think he's actually going to make himself look more like a superhero on that field because of the matchup with the Rams. I think I'm going to bet it, man. I do. This Rams defense is amazing. They are really special. My one concern is that I don't know what Aaron Donald's health is right now. But if you look at what they do well, what do the Rams bring to the table in terms of their blue chip talents? You've got Aaron Donald who gets pressure up the middle. That is the one thing that can really, really hurt a tremendous quarterback, whoever it is, right? Whether it be Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mullins, they always say the same thing. It's pressure up the middle that gives them trouble. Well, Aaron Donald can do that. They also have the corner and Jalen Ramsey, like you brought up, that can make... Devontae Adams, a little bit of a non-factor in this game. We just saw it with DK Metcalf last week. I think he can do something similar against Devontae Adams. I'm not going to pick Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Robert Tunyon. I don't think those are the guys that are ultimately going to be able to win this game for the Packers. So will they win this game? Will the Rams win it? I don't think so. I'm still going to take the Packers, but I think it's a really low scoring game. I think it's like 20 to 13. That's the way that they win this, but I think the Rams defense shows up in a big, big way on Saturday. No faith in Lazard or Valdez Scantling. None. None whatsoever. Okay, I'll remember that. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the Blues are hoping to win this season the same way they won in their Stanley Cup run. We'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So the Blues are hoping to win this season behind their depth. This is what they did whenever they won the cup. It's not that they had elite players, although they did have some very, very good ones, borderline elite. They had a lot of really good players with very few weaknesses. And as I was reading through some of the preview stuff over the last few days, Ferrario, whether it be ESPNs or the athletics, whether it be guys that go kind of by the eye test or by the analytics, it all said essentially the same thing. Looking at the blues, it's really hard to find what the hole is. Yeah, it's it's really hard to find what the clear cut weakness is. It's also hard to find what they are going to be truly elite at. They are going to be in probably the five to 10 range in basically any statistical category that you're looking at going into this upcoming season. I do think there's one thing that they, those previews though might be overlooking and it's the power play. I was just going to say that in my opinion is elite. And when you look at the power play, 
That appears to be the trump card that they can play on basically any given night. Maybe there are nights when the goaltending is not perfect. There are nights when the defense just isn't the way that you would hope it to be. The offense, for whatever reason, isn't scoring five on five. That power play is going to play no matter what. Mm -hmm. You just have so much talent on that unit that it's going to be difficult for people to shut them down consistently. So as I'm going through some of these, these previews, it looks to me like the power play unit this year can be what the defensive play was for the Blues whenever they ultimately won the cup a couple of seasons ago. That's the trump card that is there for them each and every night, in my opinion. It is, and we were just listening during the break, Craig Berube's kind of Zoom conference that he wrapped up a little bit ago from the practice, and he talked about how discipline is going to be the main factor for the Blues against the Avalanche tomorrow night because you can't put that team on the power play. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the Blues power play is better than the Colorado Avalanche on paper. Chemistry is going to be a big flaw that I'm looking into or I'm interested to see how it works because no preseason games two scrimmages. How are these lines going to work? You got two new faces on that power play. But if I were to tell you BK that your power play unit, which we all know right now, but compared to last year's, which was second best in the National Hockey League has Jim Montgomery, who we all know success in Dallas, Tory Krug, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron, Hoffman and Shen. That, in anyone's opinion, is a number one power play unit in the National Hockey League. On paper, it's just a matter... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's just a matter of converting and turning it into something that actually looks good on the ice. The guys that are on the Blues' second power play unit would be on most teams' first power play unit. Robert Thomas, Jaden Schwartz, Braden... uh, I'm sorry, Zach Sanford, Colton Pareko. I mean, all of those guys are number one unit. Colton Pareko would absolutely be on most teams' teams first unit power play. Right. And that's that's what what is so special about this group is you've got guys that are third-liners for the Blues. That would be top six forwards on a lot of other teams. Mm -hmm. You've got guys on the second pairing defensively. That would be top pairing defensive players for other teams. And so the Blues have the depth that a lot of other teams dream of having. The division, though, does not have that depth. The division is very top-heavy. It is the anti-Blues roster. (laughs) The division that the Blues are playing in this year in the West, according to The Athletic, is the weakest division in all of hockey. 16 of the voters, the majority of them, said that the West division is the weakest division that they see, followed by the North and then the Central. Everybody on The Athletic agrees that the East is the strongest division for the upcoming season. Ferrario, we talked a little bit about this earlier today, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it because we all know that the Blues, Vegas, Colorado, very good teams that have legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations. Mm -hmm. The rest of the division, though, is a little bit of a question mark, an open question as to what what the goals, what the realistic goals are going to be for them this season. I know you disagree with this assessment of the division. Why do you disagree with it so vehemently? So here's the thing. Go through every one of those divisions and ask yourself, how many teams in that division can legitimately win the Stanley Cup? In the Central, Tampa, in my opinion, is the one that legitimately, don't give me, oh, well, they could win it. No, they can legitimately win the Cup. In the East, Pittsburgh, I'll listen to Philly and Washington. That's three teams. So I see how that team is viewed as a very tough division. And then you got the North, the Canada division. There's a couple of teams that I would say have the legit shot. The West have three of the top five power rankings right now, according to NBC Sports. Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis. Those are three of the top five power teams. So you can't look at that West division and say, oh, well, that's an easy division. I understand L.A. and Anaheim are in this. But L.A. and Anaheim are big, heavy teams. They're not the, you know, Ottawa Senators that are going to be a tough team to play against, but they don't play heavy. They play fast. 
Anaheim and San Jose and L.A. can cause frustrations for teams. But in my opinion, you have four spots to win, BK. Right now, top three, you would imagine those are the three we've talked about. But Arizona and Minnesota can steal an awful lot of points away. Hell, they did it against the Blues the last three seasons. Three wins in 11 games. So those teams can steal points, which might push the team to the fourth spot. So you can't tell me that that West division is simple because they have the three California teams where if you go look at the Central, there's one team, in my opinion, that can win the Cup this year, and it's Tampa. It's funny because, as you said that, if you read further in this piece over on The Athletic, they asked their riders who's going to win the Stanley Cup this year. 26 of them said the Avalanche. The next highest team in terms of the voting was the Golden Knights with six. So those are your two top cup contenders according to these same riders who also view this division as being the weakest in the league this upcoming season none of them predicted the blues by the way to win the stanley cup for this upcoming season how many of them predicted boston bruins uh none of them predicted boston now i don't have to get as fine it's the avalanche had 26 votes the golden knights had six the lightnings had lightning had four and then there was one apiece for the Predators, Hurricanes, Penguins, Flyers, and Maple Leafs. All yeah. of them had one. And I mean, you could look at the Central. And again, Nashville, very good team. Columbus, Carolina, all very good teams. Dallas was in the Cup Final last year. All very good teams. But if you put them on paper right now against the Blues, you're picking the Blues every day. If you put them on paper against Blues, Vegas, Avalanche, all of those teams, you'd pick St. Louis over them on paper. Which, in my opinion, if you're going tough division... It's that division because you got to play those three teams. If you're one of those, you got to play that uh, those other two 16 times. Yeah. 16 of your 56 games are against two teams that are favored to win the cup. It's a good point. It it also though becomes uh, you can view this both ways. 16 of your 56 games come against those two teams. 40 of them don't. 40 of them come against the rest of the division that we tend to agree is not particularly good. So it's very top heavy. The top three teams in this division are really good. And those games against the Avalanche and the Golden Knights are going to be awesome to watch this year. And I think as a fan, that is something that I'm really looking forward to because you're going to see basically playoff intensity hockey in the regular season. And you're going to do so 16 out of the 56 games, which is going to be awesome as a Blues fan to watch. The other 40 games, though, it's just it's an unknown of what if or when any of those teams are actually able to step up this season. But that's why and on my article at 101 ESPN, I picked Minnesota and Arizona as those next two teams, that second tier of teams that are going to be difficult to play against, because that's another 16 games, BK, that of those two gave the Blues the biggest fits in the last three seasons. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with the fast lane, and I want to pass along a little bit of news that the NBA has just announced in terms of some of the protocol changes that they have now agreed upon. Lou Will, did you get more lemon, pe- lemon pepper wings? It's not that, but it is the, the cousin of that, <laughs> if you will. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the fast lane. If you missed anything on today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by I Promise. Jamie Rivers in studio, crossing things over for the fast lane, which is coming up next. Jamie, I would like to pass along a little bit of news that's coming out right now from the NBA, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. I, geez, I, I hate to miss this. We can get his microphone yeah, turned no, on. He told me not to screw it up, and I wanted to make sure I screwed Ferrario it up. Ferrario, right? 
away. Okay, yes, I'm super interested in NBA news. Please okay. pass along. So I think you actually might legitimately be interested in this news because Ooh. it's about the protocols that have changed, and it could potentially be interesting for the NHL. Okay. We'll see if this applies to them at all. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, among protocol changes now agreed upon, NBA players can no longer interact with non-team guests at road hotels. Oh, players were great. previously allowed to have guests in their room, but that will no longer be the case. All right, who, who ruined it for all of us? Okay, first of all, how were they allowed to have guests in their room? Like, I'm all for it. Like, hey, NBA, gay players, go for it. Like, well, I'm going to guess, married, Jamie. You've got friends, whatever. You, got, you have your guests. <laughs> However... However, how the hell do you allow that? I'm going to guess there was a lot of uh, NBA Players Association push for this after what happened in the bubble when their players were probably not thrilled with the circumstances. Um, Unfortunately, that has officially the the kibosh has been placed on that after there's been a ton of teams already that have been just destroyed already by COVID. I can't imagine that didn't work. James Harden going to the strip club ruined it for everybody. Well, Kyrie Irving, there's some videos of him celebrating his sister's birthday at a... uh what appeared, I'm going to couch this, what appeared to be a nightclub within the last five days or so. Mm. Makes sense. Wouldn't yeah. have anything to do with the fact that he's been missing from the lineup, too. Right? No, he says that that is completely due to yeah. him not feeling right after what happened last week. So yeah. I'm sure that not is 100% right. accurate. Yeah, no, yeah yes. 100%. The nightclub, you know. So more changes, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. At home, players and team personnel must now remain at their residence, except to attend team-related activities at the facility, exercise outside, perform essential activities, or the occurrence of extraordinary circumstances. Says that on the road, players and the staff can no longer leave the hotels except for team activities. Um, Pre-game meetings in the locker rooms are now limited to 10 minutes with the masks on. Eat in 10 minutes. Any person who regularly visits inside the home of a team staff member or player for professional purposes now must undergo COVID testing twice a week. <laughs> Basically, you are now in a bubble without actually being at the bubble. But I I just found a loophole, guys. They said you can't leave unless it's for team activities. Yeah. Well, guess what? James Harden setting up a team activity at the strip club, boys. They're hired. Yeah. Therapists. Yeah. Team, team. activity outside. Yep. Got to get out. Got to get some B&E. Of course this was what was going to happen, though, right? B&E. Bacon and eggs. Naturally. Yeah. We we all knew nope. that this was gonna was gonna go this direction, right? Well, how are they gonna keep track of this, PK? They got trackers on all of them. How are they gonna keep track of? So you go home. Well, it's the honor system, of course. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Do they still it? have the the, hot, the the hotline? What, yeah. what did the they call that? Line. The, the snitch line. line. The red God. phones ringing, boys. Yeah. Uh oh. I. Most of this is already in place in the NHL, right? Hey, haven't their protocols basically essentially been, hey, you're in a bubble without actually being in a Once bubble. You get you to the see hotel. your family, which is the most important thing, of course, yeah. for a lot of these players is when you're home, you can still be around your family, which was not the case whenever they were up in the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto. Now you can do that. You're in your host city. So all of that is better for these players. But otherwise, like, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're not going to be able to have a whole lot of fun out on the road. But this is so what much we have team to do. bonding. Man, that is one thing that I am actually legitimately a little worried you about. You can bond. For these teams. You could bond in the uh, the community hall at the hotel room, right? Yeah, the hospitality suite. Yeah, you get a big television, have some M and M's. Can for sure. I mean, look at uh, it's different though. It's different. Hell it's got yeah. a different feel. We talked to Braden Shen yesterday, and yeah. he basically you know reiterated what you were saying is that yeah, they're they're 
not on lockdown, but they're being very aware of what they do and that life on the road and having a couple of new guys on the team isn't as easy to build that chemistry right away, just off-ice chemistry. Yeah. Um, you know, even though Kyle Clifford and Mike Hoffman are good guys, it's still it's different. Sure. And when they go on the road, it's going to be even more different because it used to be like, okay, let's all go grab a bite to eat, maybe share a bottle of wine, chit-chat, especially on the day off in between the games. That was always a good time to have a lunch with a couple of cold beers. Especially the division that they're in. Right. Like going out in Vegas and L.A. and San Jose. Oh, like those I wouldn't were the be best going out in trips. Vegas anyways. No, yeah. Quite honestly, Jamie would be locked in his room. That's the one that I, I just, it doesn't, you know, doesn't do anything yeah. for me. I'd okay. probably stay Jamie, in. Yeah. Jamie would, extra you sleep. wouldn't be going to Circa at that, uh, yeah, that poolside yeah. bar? Jamie would heard of it. Jamie would <laughs> be going out in Winnipeg. Like that's where he'd be going out <laughs> he, if he, he could. He thrived in Winnipeg. I like to go sled dogging in Winnipeg. Find that very Denver's a good time. Yeah, Denver's a good you can time. have some fun in Denver. Yeah. You can find a way to have some fun in Denver. Denver I promise you that. is definitely the highlight for some guys. <laughs> oh, nice. I love it. Jamie, let me ask you this. And how different is that? How difficult is that? Like, what's the difference between being able to go out on the road to a bar or a restaurant in Bond than sharing a bottle of wine or a beer in the hotel room? It's just a different setting. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just slightly different in the fact that when you're out, you have different things you talk about. Things happen. You see things. It's Some guys make funny jokes jokes about mm-hmm. things that are going on and the same thing happens in the hotel don't get me wrong but you feel sometimes the energy and this sounds crazy the energy is less just because you're sitting there you've been in the hotel like in Colorado they'll arrive today and they'll be in the hotel until the moment they leave for the game yeah. on what Thursday mm-hmm. yeah. Friday Wednesday, I don't even Wednesday. know on the 15th that's all I know or the 13th but yeah that's fine whatever no they'll leave for the game to come. Oh, you oh, mean gotcha. from the yeah. Gotcha. See, Alex, now you're not so smart, huh? Now yeah. I feel like yeah. a jerk. Now yeah. I feel like a you're jerk. You're well dressed, but you got that one wrong. Well, you're okay. well dressed too. No, I'm not. But anyways, uh, so it, it's just sometimes the energy gets sucked out of you a little bit because yeah. you're in the same spot and you're maybe less motivated to put on your tracksuit, go over to the room. It's more motivating sometimes. Get out, get some fresh air, see some new things. You know, you've been, like if you're Mike Hoffman, you've never played in the Western Conference. So you want to get out and see some of the things and some of the cool restaurants, whatever. Well, that's not going to be an option. How do you fight the battle of of guys wanting to just go into their rooms and play video games? Yeah. Because you've got a lot of them that might be on that, that spectrum of hockey games. I wonder if teams will have a rule implemented. And I know that it's kind of harsh, but I think I'd try to establish to where guys weren't allowed to bring it really? on the road. And yeah. I know there's a mental health thing where you don't want to feel like you're just cooped up. I don't know. As I sit here and try to think about it, I think guys would want that as yeah. a decompression type thing. You know, yeah. oh, I want to just decompress after the game. Because or, some of those older guys play them too. It's not just do. the young kids that play them. But I don't know how you monitor it to where a guy's not loading into the hotel tonight in in Denver. It doesn't and come out till tomorrow. Gaming <laughs> until the the time they go to the game and then back on the game like yeah. they do that. Right. So I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be another obstacle that the coaching staffs have to deal with nowadays. Yeah. That back and that's in always my there. Day, we didn't have to do that. For, for what it's worth, that is always an issue. Like that is something that any time that you're going on the road, some of the guys are going to do that. They're going to choose that over right. going to grab dinner or whatever. But it's easier to convince one of those dudes, hey, we're going out to um, the the best steakhouse in town. Go ahead and join us, right? We'll, we'll, we'll grab your first round for you. It's a little easier to convince them to do that than, hey. 
Come on down to the <laughs> lobby. We're all going to grab a drink together and hang out and talk for the next yeah, three hours. Package sandwiches. They're great. Yeah, like Jimmy like, used to say, no, I'm going to stay in my room and play, uh, play Game Boy. If that's cool, guys. It's well, cool. I look at Dallas as a thing. And, and you know, some of the hotels have um, amazing restaurants in the hotel. Like I know in St. Paul, they got a great steakhouse there. And in Dallas, they've got Nobu unbelievable sushi and Japanese cuisine. And like, so that was a big thing. You go down, Hey, let's meet in, in the lobby. Right. And that's going to be off limits. It might now. be a luxury on the West division though, because I would imagine a lot of those hotels that they're staying at in Vegas and in LA, San Jose, they're going to be pretty high level hotels that will have that option rather than if you were playing in and no disrespect to them, but playing in, you know, Winnipeg, Calgary, oh, Ottawa. Boy. I'm wow. not throwing He's Canada on the Canada. bus here, wow. but wow. I do wonder if the We're NHL, Buffalo. Philly, maybe they got Buffalo wings though. You know <laughs> they do, but the anchor bar will be off limits. <laughs> well, if somebody can, Lou will can deliver. I yeah, I would be curious if the NHL and I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know if you do or not, Jamie. But are they going to have like in St. Louis? This is the hotel that every team is going to stay at, and we are going to block off these rooms throughout the season so that way like an NHL anytime, floor. Yes, anytime an NHL team is in St. Louis, they will stay here. In these rooms, we're yeah. going to have them professionally cleaned, and then we will have this area for the players to be able to hang out in. Yeah. So that way, we know. I mean, as safe as possible, as safe as can be. That's where where, where they're going to. You be don't have to worry about the cross contamination yeah. of somebody staying there in between the players. Coming. Right. The problem with that is if you have actual players who come up with COVID and now they're on that floor and you're isolating it to that floor. But then at least you know it's being professionally cleaned, and you know but there was something anyways, there, right? right? Eh, so that's enough. the thing. Is, fair enough. Uh, I think certain teams have preferences. Some teams like to stay at the Ritz here. Some people, some teams like to stay at the Westin downtown here. And I think we're trying, all right. I'm just trying to make he just work. I'm just trying to give you the answer. He just dumped both of our points there, BK. They'll, they've already reserved all of it. And when they're in town, they will have the floor plus the hospitality suite. Plus they'll have two extra rooms that are always reserved for the simple fact that if somebody gets COVID, they will take that player, quarantine him. And that player will stay in that city during his quarantine time before he rejoins their, their actions. That's going to be why, hard. That's, but, but see, that's why I feel, and maybe this is me being optimistic because apparently that's all I am. I feel like the NHL oh, Mr. Hollow Notes. I feel <laughs> yeah. That was beautiful. Uh, it was way. not beautiful, whatever. But I feel like though that the NHL is going to have a lot more success in what people are giving them credit for. Like I think a lot of people are concerned how this is going to work. I feel as if the NHL is going to be a little bit more successful than what people are expecting. It's going to be tough, man. It's going to be really tough. I think that ultimately I think it's going to take a couple of outbreaks to for lack of better words sober teams up to the reality yeah. of it. I think it's going to be a lot like Major League Baseball, where you'll have a couple of big ones, you know, lab rats to start the season, and all of a sudden you're like, oh boy. Unfortunately, the Cardinals were one of those lab rats, and then the rest of the league kind of was like, okay, we need to tighten it up here. Uh, I think with the number of games the NHL is playing, similar to what baseball did yep. with the 56 and 60 for baseball. I would use that as a comparable more than I would any other league right now. I would say, prediction real quick, there will be a national story, or there will be a time when national stories are written that the NHL t- should take a pause. That's going to happen. Cool. Um, because because there's why probably... Are so yeah, why are both of no, you so negative? And, and they will power through, and I, I believe that they will get through it the way that baseball did. Right? There were stories where, they, where a lot of people said baseball should shut down because what's happening with the Cardinals and the Marlins right now is going to happen consistently and there's no way they're going to make it through the season and they did 
They found a way to get through. And I think the NHL is going to do the same thing. They'll find a way to get through it. It's going to be tough at times. There's going to be moments where it's like, is this even going to work? And they'll get through it. The NBA is going through the same thing right now. There's a lot of people that are saying, just shut down for two weeks and figure it out afterwards. They're not. They're powering through it. They're changing some protocols. I think the NHL is going to do something. You are a factory of sadness. That was a positive there at the end. I don't know if that's a positive. Jamie, what's coming up today <laughs> on the fast line? No. Yeah, you, you rode I the fence de- on that one. I feel depressed right now. <laughs> Thanks, BK. I know. I'm sad. Uh, well, we got Joey. Vitale coming oh, up today. Right. We're going to have some fun with Joey. We're going to discuss a lot of things. Blues, obviously there's some, we'll call it salary cap gymnastics going on today for the St. Louis Blues. We're going to get into that. I'm going to break it down for people, so hopefully they understand it a cool. little bit more. Um, we got certainly the national championship that we're going to be talking about, and I'm sure that BT, Stoltz, and I will have uh, a couple of meltdowns here throughout the show. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I promise. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. (sighs) Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hour. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.